Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is August the 25th of 2021. I am Nick, here with Chris. That's me. The one and only. Can't take it from me. Yeah. Um. Now, Nick, it's going to be hard to hear this podcast over yeah. the ranting chants for CM Punk that will no doubt be echoing throughout this podcast. In uh, about... 20 minutes at least yeah we're yeah. gonna hear them from wherever the hell i don't know where milwaukee i think they are right now that's right so, I, I, it's so weird because like i never know where like wrestling shows are these days and then like i actually know like where dynamite is and like i guess that that whole thing where they say where they're going to do the show works on some <laughs> <laughs> i legitimately only know it's that because i follow cm punk on twitter and he's like coming up soon guys phil walkie and i was like all right, that's catchy enough to work. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that was crazy, yeah. right? That that, that return, that like that that like five seconds before he comes out, and an entire stadium is chanting. It's 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 surreal. And there's an alternate reality somewhere where like uh, they're chanting that, and Tony Khan is just like panicking back. So he's like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> he's like, "Luchasaurus, get out there!" <laughs> what are we gonna do? I've let this go on for too long. <laughs> Oh man, I really thought we would have signed him. <laughs> oh man. Um, for those of you who don't follow wrestling, a big thing happened on Fred. <laughs> that's was, really, that's where you can stop. A big thing happened. Don't worry, don't worry about it. It, it, I, it would take more trouble for me to explain it if you're not familiar with it, because anyone who's got even the smallest inkling of it understands what's going on. Um, that's how big it is, basically. Yeah, so. I, I know it was like the number one or number two trending thing on Reddit. And I was like, man, how many fucking Redditors have to right now be like, who the fuck is CM Punk? And why is this shit everywhere? <laughs> um, but yeah, it went over huge. And uh, of course, he immediately starts going into a feud with my least favorite AEW guy. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, we've got stuff to talk about tonight. It's going to be an odd episode, I think, because I feel as though the way that I'm going to feel about the series that we're talking about as a recommendation this week is in general going to reflect how I'm going to feel about like the weekly chapters we're going to talk about, too. It's like, well, I guess there's not really anything wrong with it. But, I don't know. It just didn't really do anything for me. So. Hey, it's fair. It's fair. The series we took as a recommendation for this week is Gokushu Fudo, or The Way of the House Husband, which has been running since February of 2018. Uh, it is available. Uh, you can purchase the volumes through Viz Media. Uh, a, there's a live action drama adaptation uh, that aired starting last year. And there is a Netflix animation <laughs> as well. Uh, that a lot of people are upset because it was called animation and it's basically a motion comic. But uh, it's uh, a, a recent series that has uh, kind of struck it relatively, relatively big in a, in a really quick span of time. Mm -hmm. um, the premise of the series is that the main character, Tatsu, used to be a really prominent member of, uh, of, of a Yakuza gang. And uh, he has since left that the, the, his criminal way of life behind after getting married, and now he's a house husband. But uh, he's still a he's still a, a, a really intimidating yakuza guy. But he he just does very innocent things like do household chores and go do the shopping and go to yoga class. Yep. 
And um, a lot of people, when they see him, still think that he's very scary because he's just kind of got that criminal air about him still. Well, Nick, but he just wants to just wants to buy their fish. That's the hilarious twist of this. What if you saw a person and you judged that book by the cover, but then when you actually got to know him, it wasn't like that at all. And then you repeated and... it for seven volumes. <laughs> so, I will say this for this series. It, uh... It looks nice. It's 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 drawn I, well. It's art drawn is phenomenal. Well. I think. I should say uh, phenomenal. I guess, but ex- exceptionally well done. One of the better looking comedy series I've seen. It's very technically proficient, and also I would say it does a good job of getting across the joke, which is that this guy looks very scary, despite the fact that he is doing incredibly unintimidating things like uh, vacuuming uh, and and stuff like that. It's just that he's constantly, you know looking down at people in a certain way or making when he smiles, it's this very evil looking smirk that he, yeah. that he gets. Um, and uh, so you understand, it gets across the message that this is how people see him. And then, you know, he'll do things that are the most innocent things that you can possibly think of someone doing. Like he'll, he'll make food and he'll take, you know, take, you know, really intricate pictures of it to post on Instagram. All, all that kind of stuff. The least pos, the least possible, the least criminal kind of things you can get into. It really but, leans on one, one particular joke, which is he'll pull out a, a bag with a mysterious white powder in it, and it won't be drugs. Yeah, uh, uh, I was going to note there, there is a single volume. It, it it comes up a lot throughout the series, but there is one volume I think in volume four where I think I counted they used that white powder joke three or four times in a single volume, and I was like, it's too much. It's too much. It wasn't really funny the first time. I, I like. Was, because cause even when you mentioned he'll, he'll, he'll make food and then post a picture of it on Instagram, it's also the way he makes the food, which yeah. is he'll be like, and now I'm going to whack you. And that's him tenderizing the meat. And he's like, and now you're going to drown with the fishies. And he's putting it in a soup with a bunch of other fish or something like, like he, he uses gangster slang. And it's always like right. somebody from the other side of the wall or something like that. He's like, oh, my God, he's actually doing gangster things. But. Then when you see him, it's like, no, he's not. He's being a house husband because that's his pride and joy now. <laughs> and I will say this. So on a surface, it feels like this is like Angel Densetsu a little bit like, oh, this person's actually really mm-hmm. nice. They just have a face that really scares people off. Um, but I don't think there's as much comedy depth to it as Angel Densetsu. It certainly hasn't been anything serious yet in the manga, to my knowledge. Um, there is a chapter early on where we first meet Miku, where we see like a single panel kind of suggesting she found him in a pretty bloody state before they got together. So he owes her. But like beyond that, we don't know really why he left the Yakuza. We don't have like a serious story. Every character who has showed up who could be significant, like his boss has shown up. But the joke is that his boss has a, like a little fucking Shiba Inu he likes or whatever and that's like you're not gonna get drama there's there's not and I think that is a good thing or a frustrating thing depending on who you are because I I feel like there's some people out there who are going to be really annoyed because like the series doesn't ever do anything different it's the same joke for you know chapter after chapter and there's some people gonna be like fucking yes man so i just get to watch this guy and his cool ass wife fucking do fun things be goofy idiots 
And both of those, I think, are are, are perfectly valid. It really kind of just comes down to what part you take out of this series. Yeah, I mean, you could take the attitude of, uh, well, why doesn't it uh, get into uh, any of this kind of stuff? But it's kind of like you can you can enjoy the ride for what it's worth, or you can be sitting there being like, yeah, I'm following this dotted line. But why is Billy running around doing all of these things? What is he trying to hide? What's the deep reason at his core that he's getting into all of these these antics? And what is the purpose for why this panel is circular? Is it because he's too lazy to fill in those extra corners? Is that why? I, my point is that it's a series that you kind of grow familiar with over a period of time. And you just kind of relax into and you always know that when you read it, you're going to be getting the same thing. And you may be frustrated by the lack of variety or you may enjoy the what you're getting into. And a lot of times when people get used to something, they don't want it to change. And so there is something good and bad to be said for it, just like you said. Uh, so I'm not going to really fault the series for like not having a whole lot of variety in its jokes, because I'm sure that there I know for a fact, because the series is pretty successful for yes. how young it is that a lot of people find this amazing and hilarious. I didn't. Uh, I It just didn't really strike me. I think that in all the chapters that I read, there was one joke that I laughed at, which is um, he meets up with like a rival gang member who's now running a food truck, and they decide to settle the score between them by having a cooking competition where each of them prepares desserts. And the way that they decide the winner is that they take pictures of their intricately prepared desserts and post them to Instagram and whoever gets the most likes wins. And then it cuts to, a, you know, like a couple hours after they've done this and the rival guy has gotten zero likes and Tots has gotten one like, and the one like is from his wife. That's the one joke that I laughed at. Like, I, ah, it was just his wife who, who, who liked it and nobody else liked it. So I, I will go off for this series and say, so I'll, I'll actually give it this way. So I was, quietly reading this series before we took the recommendation just because i had heard a lot about it and i knew it was highly crested by our audience so i just assumed inevitably we we're going to talk about it so i was picking up the volumes and just reading through it my first time reading through it i was kind of like yeah some of these volumes are a chore to get through i'm not super digging it i reread the series you know the five volumes that are out digitally through viz right now prior to this episode and on my second read through i was like you know I think this series actually is a little bit better than I'm giving it credit for. And I found a couple jokes in there that I really do like. Now, a lot of them ended up being less of the joke that he looks like a gangster, but he's actually a house husband. Because sometimes there's some kind of icky prejudice in there that gets kind of annoying. I'd like to say it completely avoids it because it does actually have a very wholesome like husband-wife dynamic where the wife is the breadwinner and that is never like the butt of the joke or anything. But there are some times where it's just like, Wow, it's not really masculine of you, Tatsu. And it's like, all right, I don't, because he's fucking ordering a strawberry cheesecake. Like, who cares? Who gives a shit? But um, there is one joke that I, I really enjoy because he has um, I don't even know. He's like an assistant or like a lower member of the gang who follows him, right. Massa. And Tatsu kinda has almost like a fatherly relationship with him because Massa is a, a monumental idiot. And I just, mm -hmm. like, they go to, like, a dollar store, and Asa shits all over it, because he's like, what, who goes here? And he's like, no, there's all these good things here. In, in fact, let me show you things. And he, he holds out a, a washing machine filter, and he's like, do you know what this is for? And the guy's like, 
uh, it's an insect net. He's like, no. And then he just starts going through things, and then he pulls out the, the filter again, and it's just a shot of him like, insect net again! And it's like, no, he's still just an idiot. And then, like, the last joke of the chapter is him looking at it. He's like, oh, shit, what is this again? <laughs> I don't know why. It's just, he's such an idiot, I kind of enjoyed it. Um, And there's also, like, a, a small gag at one point that the wife wants to go to some amusement park, and it's like, Tatsu being like, no, it's, 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 I forget his exact reasoning, but he's like, no, too much money, whatever. And it just hard cuts to, yay, we're here. And it, it's just her pose where she's so relaxed with like her arms in the air. And it's just him like, Humph. but you know, he does it because he's, he loves his wife. He loves his wife. It is legitimately just very nice to see that, you know, you don't know why they fell in love, but you see that the way that they, you know, interact and they're so comfortable with each other that, you know, like, yeah, of course, he left everything behind in order to be with her and to support her career. Because, I mean, look, of course, he's happy there. Like, yeah, they're, they're, it doesn't really even need to come to mind because it's, you know, just a nice little sweet thing. And I could to- I could totally see even if like you even as I read this and I wasn't very amused by it, I did just find their relationship to be just, you know, a pleasant thing Um, because you would expect from a lot of, you know, uh, situational comedies along these lines that there would be like a lot of conflict between them. Like um, he would constantly be doing things and she would be getting upset with him. And that does happen sometimes, but it's usually because he, still hasn't broken all the habits that come along with being in the Yakuza in terms of how you're supposed to show respect and admiration for someone. So, uh, like he celebrates, uh, her birthday with her and, uh, he does it in like, he does like make a cake and stuff, but he does it in a little bit of a gangster way. And then at the end, uh, Miku is like, Oh, something else i want from you and it's like just a singular line that lets you know it's like she wants she wants you to fuck her but he but he does but it doesn't go any further in detail than that and he just goes like okay and he like gets on his knees and he starts getting ready to cut his finger off because that's like oh that's a big that's his big thing it's like that's how you show your devotion so is you, you cut off your finger for them and she's like no and she like clotheslines him and that's where the chapter ends so it's like, yeah, he was going to do something crazy. So she stopped him from doing it. Uh, and so sometimes things go like that a little bit. But usually even when he takes things too far, she's just kind of like, yeah, no, don't do that. And that, that you can see that, yeah, she's got a lot of patience for him because that's just the way that he is. Like he refuses to get them a car one time because he's so paranoid that all of his old rivals are going to come and kill him. Yeah. Which... Doesn't really make any sense, but <laughs> especially when you find out like every single one of their rivals they ever meet seem to just be like again, just like dopes like he is. They're all just like, yeah. oh cool, fucking let's take pictures of our dogs and compare them on Instagram. There is a running theme throughout this story because he keeps on running into all these different people who have left the criminal life mm-hmm. that makes you think like there must have been like something that happened in this area of, of of Japan a few years ago that just like the entire underworld just like, no, nah, I'm gone. I'm done with all this. Yeah. <laughs> God, I just want to walk my dog now. Yeah, I'm just hanging out at the grocery store and it's going to be the best damn grocery store you've ever seen. Yeah. Um, 
I don't really have anything else to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I took this recommendation exclusively because it was going to be a pretty quick one uh, to read and also relatively to talk about. Uh, I would say check the series out. I don't think you're going to do any harm to yourself. If you read the first volume, you could probably get through it in 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And you're really going, quickly. you're yeah. going to have a pretty good idea at that point, whether or not it's a series you'd like a lot uh, or not. Um, I think it is funny. I don't, I, I think picking it up in volumes is the general way I would suggest reading it just because you get like a chunk of the series at points, but it doesn't overstay its welcome. Um, but maybe you also love it. You'll binge it all in one day and just keep reading. I don't know. Maybe it's like Garfield. You're like, I need a chapter every fucking day. I'm going to lose my mind if I don't have that goddamn cat in my life. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, we already have our next recommendation picked out. But that's a surprise. You'll have to wait until the end of the episode to find out about it. Even me? Well, no. You've known about it for close to a year. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this All is right. where this is where I've been reading it like quietly for five months, and then you fucking whammy me, and it's something completely different, and I'm just like, God damn it! Hajime no Ippo! And I'm like, fuck! Oh, man, that would be cruel. <laughs> That one I would have I would have to tell you like what my next pick is going to be if I wanted to. And also I wouldn't say that that's a bad one, but anyway. All right. We're gonna do the recap portion of Weekly Manga recap now. So we're gonna kick things off with chapter number three hundred twenty-three of My Hero Academia. That single step. We begin this chapter with a flashback to, I guess after that conversation that we already saw that took place between Nezu and Endeavor and all of class one, a, where they were planning to bring Deku back. Um, I guess to just kind of like put into your head, the idea that they were prepared for the eventuality that they encountered at the end of the last chapter with a bunch of people being like, no, he's a leper. Get him out of here. And not wanting Deku to be around them for fear of putting them all in danger. And uh, apparently Ida brought this all up and said, yeah, I mean, we, we need we're going to need like convincing evidence um, that it's going to be fine if Midoriya stays here. And uh, Nezu, Nezu says, OK, it could be said that Midoriya is now the most valuable battle asset that the heroes have. So no matter what happens, it would be risky to give him shelter at, at an unprepared substandard facility but UA is equipped with our nation's most advanced defense technology for that very reason. We pride ourselves as being as well defended as Tartarus, even. It's a school. It's a, it is a superhero school, but it is a school. I want everyone to remember that. And so, yeah, you're raising the point of like, didn't Chigaraki break into Tartarus like really easily? Like, yes, but we are prepared. So you see, Nezu says, I've added my own personal touches to the fortifications. And they're like, how did you do that? And Nezu just says, there was much heated debate. <laughs> I had a lot of really heated debates with the PTA. <laughs> and they found out it's all my money, so fuck them. Yeah, essentially. Um, he says, UA itself can travel. The grounds are partitioned like a game board, and each section is equipped with mechanisms that transform it into an underground emergency shelter. 
Then those individual shelters enter a linear maglev network that can send them along any number of routes at our discretion. It turns the entire school grounds into underground elevators and walk evaders them to safety <laughs> underground. I like I understand it's a manga. I'm meant to take things with a great assault, but I'm just thinking of how like astronomically expensive creating this gigantic layer of super tunnels all over the school is. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't know, I guess that dribbles fucking the this is the Elon Musk of his world. And he was like, if shits and giggles, why is the school like a giant chessboard where I can just drop the pieces down and send them all send them across the fucking country? Who cares? I also want to wonder uh, like how did you install all of this without anyone like just like going to class, falling into a? Ah! <laughs> oh, I didn't know what know about this. Yeah, I like um, the idea. Everyone's surprised. Like, how did you? Do- <laughs> like, you weren't worried about the seventy years of construction that has apparently been going on at the school. <laughs> no, superheroes work fast. Okay. Yeah. Also, there are multiple layers of bulwark plates underground that allow this to happen. Uh, and he says that they're not even the first school that, that ha- this happened with because Shiketsu did the same goddamn thing when Toga <laughs> yeah, impersonated Kami. Um, so, and also they can connect to them via these underground networks, I think. So, <laughs> um, but yeah. There you There's go, Nick. That. That's that's the big setup for how uh fucking Wind Dude and Meatball are gonna show up in this final arc. Yes. <laughs> Kami's just gonna stay at home, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um so But they say, like, how did you know about all this stuff ahead of time? Because like how did you know that Shigaraki was going to be able to, you know, penetrate that far down into the earth with his decay ability? And Nezu says, oh, I just relied on my intuition. I had no actual reliable means of knowing that that would happen. I just kind of was like, you know, just in case, I'm going to dump a whole bunch of money into this. Actually, and, uh, uh, sorry, Principal, his power evolved. He just shoots lava everywhere. Like, well, <laughs> like, that'd be great. He has the planet from He's like, I'll just stick that underneath my desk and tell no one ever until <laughs> someone discovers the giant labyrinthian fucking network of tunnels beneath the school. That'd be a nice twist. You know, like we do a sequel series and eventually just like, yeah, Nezu just built this just in case. He <laughs> I, we never hear about it before. I don't know. He was good at keeping secrets. <laughs> apparently he built into massive miles wide and deep underground network of metal plates and elevators and nobody noticed. <laughs> <laughs> and he paid for it all himself out of pocket. And everyone's like, how did you afford that? And Endeavor says, the principal's major contributions to quirk morality education have made him a man of worldwide renown. That work of his continues to this very day. So he's just very rich, I guess. I guess for educational purposes, or is he like Dr. Phil? <laughs> like, like, does he like, he like, he has a brand that gets out there and people are always like, what's principal Nesco got to say about all this? I, I imagine he would be very marketable. I mean, he is, he is a, a He's a hamster. A, a, he's a, he is a <laughs> giant hamster <laughs> with a scar across his eye that is somehow charming. Like <laughs> it really does make him cuter, honestly. Um, speaking of which, that scar is actually like cast into like the foreground when he starts talking about like this is why he's talking about like why he values his work. Essentially, saying like, yeah, there's a lot of 
lack of understanding and intolerance. And we're always just, you know, one step away from really, really bad stuff happening. Try as it might, humanity struggles to make true progress down its path, which seems to signify that Nezu's seen some shit. Um, we know that, like, he's actually, like, an animal that has a quirk that makes him human-like as opposed to vice versa. So, presumably, it was a struggle for him to get where, to where he is. Uh, uh, but um, there's just a lot that's be- not being said, I feel like, with this visual. So, But uh, he says, you know, sometimes it feels like making a step beyond all of that intolerance feels like an impossible journey. But I believe that there is a sound argument to be made for him being here with us. So go and you handle that. I know that I've given all the lectures on morality and stuff like that, but you guys handle it. You know, all you 15 year olds, (laughs) you go convince the population in general to let your friend into the sleepover. Uh, A bunch of people with umbrellas are outside in the rain being like, no, Shigaraki will come here and kill us all. Get rid of that guy. Uh, we do see various flashes into the audience to uh, let us know that like the kid's parents are there and they're of course all actually worried for, for him. Monoma is tending to Aerie. Uh, so that's an interesting thing. Cause I, yeah. Well, uh, I guess maybe Aizawa was still hurt or something like that. I don't know. It just makes me think like, Oh, you know, he's less of an asshole. That's good for him. Yeah. I mean, we, we saw them interact when he was kind of recruited to, try and see if he could copy her quirk and help her train in it but we didn't really have an indication after that point that uh he had kept on terms with her in any way so and uh also ragdoll and coda are there in the crowd too uh so we do see that there of course are people who know that know izuku better and would presumably want him to come into safety but they're just being drowned out by the much much more uh numerous people who are like no he's dirty Make him take a bath before he comes in. <laughs> I really, God, I wish that was the real crux of it. Like the big obvious like thing is like, oh, he's going to bring all for one here and uh, they're going to attack us. I really wish these people like, oh, he stinks. Don't bring him in. He's so smelly. Look at him. Maybe there's one guy who's just like, oh, God, he looks awful. <laughs> oh, he looks like he's so stinky. I can't take it. Send him away. Send him away. <laughs> Send him back into the wasteland. <laughs> Make him get clean there. <laughs> Let him take a bath in the river. We also see that a whole bunch of these people are apparently being influenced by Glenn Beck uh, because there's a lot of, you know, very um, I put the really disturbing headline in the video thumbnail YouTube videos on people's phones, uh, getting people riled up. Uh, President Mike tries to do crowd control. Best genus steps in. And it's like, oh, this will be difficult for everyone to hear from school teachers, but I will handle the situation. (laughs) The only thing that's so frustrating is he doesn't make a single fucking gene pun anywhere in here. And I was like, why the fuck does he even give the speech if he isn't going to say some shit like frayed denim or fucking a rip on the knee or some stupid bullshit like that? I understand that you are all feeling down in the dumps and tattered like your jeans have been in the mud, but... (laughs) You all feel washed out like a pair of jeans thrown in the wash one too many times. But but be assured, we have a plan to dry clean your jeans, which they don't really need to be dry cleaned, (laughs) but, you know... (laughs) They're very tough, but anyway... 
So where was I at this? There's a sale at the at Old Navy. Everybody, jeans are on me. Like he just gets lost and moves into selling things. <laughs> oh, except that stinky boy. Don't let him. Because <laughs> tried. Oh right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just... got... Listen. Sometimes this belt around my face gets a little tight, cuts off the circulation <laughs> to my brain. It actually, I pulled it too tight once, and I can't undo it now. Uh, I'm kind of scared. I have to eat through the zipper hole. <laughs> and I got a lot of food stuck in there. It smells real bad. Oh, no, please don't zip that up. My tongue might be in that gap. <laughs> really hurts. It's all the only way I could breathe. Trust you to be our hero. <laughs> He's the number three hero. God damn it. Or number two? No, three. Three. Yeah. Um, so he then goes on to actually say, listen, we had a plan. It didn't really work out. So this is plan B. <laughs> Again, he'd have probably won them over if there was just one stupid fabric pun in there somewhere. He flat out says, yeah, we were trying to pull all for one out of hiding. It didn't really work out. So this is plan B where we're just going to hide Deku here. <laughs> Which, in the fairness of the crowd who responds one way, that was a bad way to bring this up. Like, just be like casually, like, guys, we tried. We thought this would work and it didn't. So we're just going to try this now. Like, well, fucking yeah, your stupid plans never work. Stupid goddamn heroes. Uh, so, uh. Everyone just gets even more riled up by this because they're like, what, you guys fucked up and you're just saying that we just have to let you just do this and put us in danger because you can't handle defending us all, which means like that's a good in a microcosm. Yes, there's a very strong point being made there because best to use only point was, listen, <laughs> we didn't pull this off, but <laughs> so however, at that moment. Uraka gets a running start and uses her gravity powers to leap over the crowd and all the way up onto the roof of UA after she has swiped present Mike's megaphone so that she can address the crowd. And she shouts out to everyone that, uh, yeah, hey, hey, Deku's got this special power. And of course, immediately everyone's like, who cares? And she says, no, you understand. He actually left here on his own because he didn't want people to be troubled and be in danger. We wanted him to come back. And the power that he has, yes, it is special. It's the power that exists to defeat all for one. And that's why they're after him. That's why he had to leave. And he left and he went through so much out there. Take a good look at him. And everyone's like, hey, he's all dirty. But. But uh, everyone sees how messed up even the parts of him that shouldn't be messed up are messed up. Like, I'm pretty sure that parts of his costume are metal and they still look like they've got fabric tears. Um, And but Uraka's like, look, just really look at him. And of course, Inko's looking at her baby and she's really upset. But people actually start to look at Deku and are like, oh, he's really beat up. And one part of this chapter that I do actually really appreciate is that the tall beast lady that Deku helped out several chapters ago recognizes him. And it's like, oh, that's the boy who saved me. And it reminds you that, yes, Deku's been a huge idiot for the last while, running around and just ignoring 
all the possible different situations that he could be in instead of the one that the path that he's chosen. But even at that lowest point of his, he was helping people out. And that's why he's worth protecting is because that's the kind of good person that he is. And Uruk is shots in the megaphone saying that special powers are one thing, but there's no such thing as a special person. And while she is addressing the crowd, Bakugo says in a little aside to Deku, hey, we've got this system to protect all of these people, but they're still really scared. And we're here to step in when you can't handle it all alone. And Nezu's narration closes the chapter as he continues to think what he was bringing up earlier. The single step past hatred and fear and mistrust feels like an impossible journey. And I believe once someone takes that unlikely step and carves a path, the ultimate hero will rise up. One who surpasses even Yagi, yes, even All Might himself. And the person who is depicted when he is narrating this is not Deku. It's Uraraka. So. Huh. Um, it's nice that she got bigged up this way. It was a little bit unexpected, but hopefully this carries forward and she continues to be important instead of the inconsistent treatment she's been getting for. How long has been my Hero Academia been running? Uh, <laughs> uh, seven years. Yeah. So do you like the chapter? Mixed. But that's how I feel about every chapter this week. Okay. So. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I, I wanted the Uraraka moment to work for me, but just something about like the speech and also that I don't know, like I guess in my mind there's like such a grandiose way she could have entered into it and there's just like one shot of her jumping above the crowd and then it's like a bunch of close up shots on the face. And I don't know, like I was like missing something from all that. Something that would like really wow me as to why the crowd would suddenly all calm down and turn their attention to this other than like, well the main character's talking. So now they're going to start listening or whatever. Yeah. I didn't really have a problem with how she like entered the conversation. I think it's a cool visual where she just runs pat and jumps over everybody. She just, you know, that's like her way of breaking through the, the wall that they present. But the actual points that she makes are yet yeah, not especially like, I don't know. Maybe it's just the way that it's worded, but it's not, done in a way that feels especially like poetic or deep or ensnaring um so i don't know maybe like if you watched this scene and you saw it like and heard it being spoken then it would have a, a, a better impact than it does in this case but yeah i feel like if it had stuck that point then i would really like this chapter a lot more and that's such a difficult thing of like i i want the cool thing that the person says to actually be a cool coolly said thing mm -hmm. because that's such a subjective thing so now I've, I've heard people suggest that the entire reason explain the giant maglock network or whatever be the school is like that's how this my hero is going to set up a bunch of individual fights at the end and possibly I, in my mind i was like my hero doesn't even do individual fights. We got like three in the whole series. So it's like we have like two in the the um overhaul arc. And then I guess the My Villain Academia one, but I was like, outside of that, we don't really get a whole lot of one-on-one -on -one fights in my hero. 
No, it's usually group battles that we get. Uh, so I guess it could still be used for that. But in my in my mind, I actually I was like, that makes sense. But I was like, yeah, I forgot. Like, I guess it is still like a regular battle show. It just rarely feels like it. Um. So yeah, like I said, I do like some parts of this chapter, but overall, just mixed. So. All right, okay. let's talk about. Undead Unluck, number 75. Do it up! Uh, great opening. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so it's December 24th in the underground parking lot at the objective point. And who should show up but all of under. Bum, bum, bum. Well, actually, it's not all of them. It's actually like half of them, to be fair. <laughs> so uh, we don't really know where a couple of them are, but we know where these guys are. And that's underneath Tokyo Tower. Billy's there. He has Fuko. And they start going over their plan. Uh, he's basically like, all right, Creed, you're going to take the basement. Uh, Tella, Yusai, and I will head to the top. Rip, Latla, and Bunny, you're going to head to the observation deck. This way, we're just going to kind of put in layers of defense, essentially. Um, and uh, Creed just says, yeah, I'm going to kill them all when they get here. And Rip says, that's not going to happen. Creed's like, why is that? You saying I can't kill them on my own? And Rip's like, no, I'm not saying that. I'm talking about the time limit. And we find out there's two ways that you get turned into a, a cherry blossom by spring. The first is by coming in contact with the uh, cherry blossoms in the air. But the second is if you spend 30 minutes in spring's area. area. So it's not even just avoid the petals. There's also a time limit on everybody here. So it's a big dramatic thing about to happen. Uh, we cut over to Andy's group. They're heading towards the tower and they note, hey, they, we got an energy reading. We're going to make it before Spring and Fuko can make contact on the top, and we're going to get Fuko back. And Andy just says, since we don't know the risks of gambling with Spring, we're not going to let those chumps use Fuko. Also, we're beating Spring within 30 minutes. And we get this little uh, haiku of uh, Spring doing the, for 30 minutes I shall drink and wait, so may Spring flowers, or showers flower. Oh, shit, hang on. Hang well, on. wait, go, go, on, go back. Over oh, God damn it. I'm a little bit of an idiot now. Edit, edit. <laughs> Cut. All right, we'll do it live. Yeah, I guess it's not a haiku. I forget what it is. What, 353 three or something like that? Something, something along that's those lines. That's a haiku. Is it? Yeah, because it's 430 minutes. I shall drink in wait so may. Spring showers flower. That's 575. So. Okay, look at that. There you go. Um,. Basically, it's just a confirmation of like, all right, you guys know what we're going to do. We're going to head through the basement and see what happens. Uh, they note like, all right, Andy's going to go first because he can't die. And uh, he does that and immediately gets pinned to the wall by uh, machine gun fire. <laughs> and uh, then he can't die. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's because Creed's there with undecrease. And he just has like essentially a chain gun for an arm and uh, like a like one of those packets of rocket launchers behind him, and he's just firing them unending at whoever would go through the wall. So undecrease is right there. But uh, Andy just says, "Hey, Chikara, top, do it up." Which is where the chapter talent comes from. And Chikara, like, what does that mean? You're so, <laughs> how old are you again? You're so uncool. <laughs> You're so lame. Uh, Chikara walks in, and we get like a half. I guess a full page spread ultimately uh, of uh, Shakar using unmoved, stopping all of the bullets and uh, says, hey, you guys go on straight ahead. But uh, 
Creed notes, he's like, all right, yeah, it's a powerful ability, but you can only stop what you see. So you can't stop my missiles that are in your blind spots. And he fires off some missiles that are going to hit you as and, uh, and Andy, but nope, top goes by, hits it, unstoppable. And uh, we set up the two fights there. And Creed says, ah, it doesn't matter. You guys, even if there's a time limit, you guys can't beat me. You're out of your league. You know, you're just fan, you know, cannon fodder to help them get past. Shakar is like, no, the two of us are here because we could beat you. And Creed says, what? He's moving with unmove activated. And uh, I don't really know what Shakara does. He like kind of pushes off of a cannonball and slides. Top actually kicks him in the back of the head, so I assume that actually hurts. I don't know what Chikara is doing actually in that scene, but uh, we get our our big uh, two page spread basically of the the big fight about to go down between the two yeah. two teams. Yeah, I mean it's to, to really just kind of demonstrate like, hey, remember what these guys can do? Uh, they're gonna fight now, kind of thing. I do really like the image of Chikara uh, when he's got the unmoved thing because it's got the whole. The full-on Matrix stopping all the bullets uh, shot. It's a uh, and uh, the Dutch angle uh, looks cool. So mm-hmm. that's about all I have to say about the chapter. It's like, I, I, right. like, I thought it was pretty cool. I like I like the uh, Shakar. I think actually looks pretty sweet. Oh, that's the orb Doctor Nico made him. Okay. Mm. Yes. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, people are saying he's doing that because. That way, top won't get stopped. I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes you have to like kind of shrug when you go along with it when it comes to dead luck. I'm sure all the rules make sense. It's so they get a cool shot to freeze on when the chapter ends. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on to Kaiju number eight, chapter forty-two. So, uh, Shinomiya and Kafka are moving in. They're going to try and impress the captain as they deal with these huge ant kaiju guys. So Kikoru uh, activates her weapon, pulls out her huge ass axe thing and uh, starts to head out. And we see her just start tearing into some of these ants and um, move and impressing all the officers who see her. But she is just thinking to herself, this isn't enough. I'm not I'm not doing enough. You know, Vice Captain Hoshino was faster than this. Captain Ashura's attack had more weight than this. And so she's just really going all out trying to prove to prove how strong that she is. Um, there is an officer. Uh, I believe Shinonome is her name. Um and uh, she, Kikoru, ends up like doing like a cool back-to-back pose with her while she pulls out a mini gun, and yeah, so um, everyone's like, "Oh wow, she's so strong!" Despite it just being her first year as an officer, uh, and uh, Captain Army is looking around, is like, "Hey, you know, this is kind of odd." And they're like, "What? You mean the kaiju?" He's like, "Yeah, because you know, ant-type kaiju appearing on the surface is an uncommon sight already." Uh, but at the, but this is probably the first time in history that this many have appeared. What, what, why is that? So uh, he suggests that there is a leader at work the same way that there was when the third division was attacked. Um, then we got Kafka, who's getting ready as he sets off and he um, encounters an ant kaiju guy. And he's like, all right, I'll, I'll partially transform so that I can so that I can punch this thing. 
and he punches the ant, and it does nothing. He's like, what happened? Uh, he skids away when it tries to attack him, and uh, Director General Shinomiya and some of the other higher-ups are watching all of this and like, why isn't he transforming? Um, and Kafka is like, well, I mean, I guess I can't kill this thing with just a partial transformation, but I can't just go full transformation because he's afraid of his hollow now. He's afraid of what to, of turning into a full demon and going crazy and berserk. Uh, the ant uh, starts spraying some sort of acid poison thing at him, so he dodges out of the way of that. Uh, so he's like, "All right, all right, fine. I I can't I can't falter now. I've got to stay alive and make it to Mina's side." And so he starts to glow and transform, and nothing happens. Uh, so he gets knocked into a wall by the ant kaiju thing, and he's like, I can't transform. And everyone's like, what, what's going on? Why, why can't I transform now? But enough of that shit. There's another powerful kaiju reading in the area, a Hanju emerging, and it's right below kaiju number eight. And the ground crumbles, and a huge ant comes out, but kaiju number nine's coming out of its head. It's like, sticking into the ant head like a parasite Headed kind of thing there yeah yes so yes yep there we are <laughs> i uh, i don't want to say like it's just like yeah cool next week or i guess not next week but two weeks from now it'll be, it'll yeah. be exciting it really is just like there's a whole lot of different things this week where I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll look forward to seeing that next week, but I can't really tell you how I feel about it now because, like, the, I don't know. It was just like, this is going to happen next week. Thanks for the trailer, I guess. Uh, yeah. I don't know. So. I get it. You're adapting one more day. Sounds interesting. Although, well, that's not the reaction that uh, uh, everyone in my apartment had because... Nicole really likes Alfred Molina, so. so oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, she made. According to her, she made a noise when she saw the trailer. So. Yeah. Anyway, like, like a screaming noise, like. Rah! Uh, more like a. Ah, oh, so, okay. I guess it's also an equally valid noise. Um, yeah, I guess we'll see where this goes. Um, Kafka can't transform. Okay. We'll see what the reasoning is behind that. We'll see if he can break out of that in this battle. I'm sure he will, because I'm, I don't think he's going to have a very generous timetable to work with to prove himself capable. So hopefully it'll be this battle and he just gets back into it. So, yeah. There was a spy family chapter this week, but it was a, a mini chapter and um, it dealt with Yuri. Um, he got sick. He flashbacked to when Yor would take care of him as a kid. And uh, her cooking made him go, blah, but he didn't know any better. So he liked it and he felt better. And uh, he gets uh, well because he drinks a herbal tea thing that reminds him of her of her uh, of her taking care of him. OK. <laughs> Bye, Yuri. I'm glad you're not in the arc. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what Nick, let's move over then. Let's talk about Eden Zero. This is chapter 156. The Beast Lord. Uh, and there's actually nothing to say about the cover page. It's actually just a regular good old cover page this week. So we open the chapter with Xiao Ming, or Xiao Mei, everyone's favorite character who shows up 
to just everyone's explain... everyone's favorite everyone's favorite foot. I'm in character. Yeah, uh, she shows up to just explain the arc that we're in to us. I guess this is sort of like how, <laughs> like it some like sometimes when One Piece goes on long enough, it'll kind of try to recap itself a little bit. But usually it's like a panel or something. This is like four straight pages of fucking explaining the arc back to us. So. I guess if Eden Zero's pace was so fast somehow, it like went back on itself and you forgot what was happening, uh, she gives you all the details on it. Uh, but it's specifically also to be like, but our attention's going to be pulled away for a little bit. We're going to planet Nero 1, where the temple is. And uh, this is where we see Jaguar, one of the Oration 6 Interstellar, teaming up with the android manufacturer of Detcom CEO Rickard. An important character, no doubt. So I'm glad we got introduced to him. Uh, we uh, cut over to Nero's temple called Deep Snow, and I get that reference. Um, it was one of okay. the, the hundred fucking Oration Six members that heroes. <laughs> oh, okay. This is this is one from um, uh, not Fairy Tale, the one before Rave Master. It was yeah, Deep Snow was the name of uh one of the Oration Six members who got added later. I think he sucked. Um, okay. I don't remember too much. I shouldn't really say. Uh, Fabiano is inside, basically telling to the men like, "Oh no, they're getting really close. What's gonna happen?" Boom, explosion happens. Uh, Jaguars there. There was like, "Holy shit!" And he just says, "Long have I awaited this day. The day the temple's defenses would be so weak. The day." I hunt Poseidon Nero. And a bunch of guards are like, we'll get him. And he rips off his cloak and becomes a One Piece character. Uh, Rob Lucci shows up and uh, smashes a bunch of people. And um, that's it, pretty much. He smacks a bunch of people. And then Nero shows up. And he's, oh, sorry. He also just clowns Fabiano. In case you thought Fabiano was going to be an important character, he just gets fucking clown shooting by Jaguar. Uh, and then Poseidon Nero shows up and he says, Magnificent. Fabiano was the best soldier in my army. I'm trying to, what was the voice? Uh, fucking, yeah. Fabiano was the best soldier in my army. Uh, it looks like there's about to be a showdown, but he says, No, you're not my only guest. Do you think you would sneak in with the private army rabble? And uh, someone else shows up. Who is it? It's Ziggy. And uh, he's referred to as my old friend. Ziggy's like, I have no friends. And Nero, so weird. And Nero says, then I assume you are my enemy. And Jaguar just stares Jaguarly. And we it's cut kinda, away. It's, 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 it's sort of like a... You know, like we're in, sometimes in an in, in an improv troupe, someone says something that really do, just doesn't work, and the other person just has to just roll with it. <laughs> so <laughs> I have no friends. Then I would that make us enemies? <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't match with the thing that he said at all. Yeah, but I guess that's the appropriate response to the random ass shit that Ziggy said. Got got a yes and it somehow. Uh, anyway, we cut over and the rest of the chapter is just Shura giggling because he's like, "Cool, I know what's happening now." Ziggy is there with Nero, and undoubtedly, one of them's gonna kill the other. And then I'm just going to clean up what's left. Once my old man kicks it, the Aoi cosmos and everything in it will finally be mine. And which... How does he know that? 
at spy cameras or something. I don't know. <laughs> Who gives a shit? He he is he's fucking reading Zhao Mei's stupid bullshit at the yeah. start of the chapter as well. Uh, There's actually a really popular beekeeper channel that that broadcasts live Jaguar his dad's palace. <laughs> Jaguar Cub. <laughs> just like little fucking thumbs up. That's why he's not actually saying anything. He's too yeah. busy to yeah. He's moderating chat. He's like, what's going on? Uh, uh, don't, uh, don't, hey, don't make me ban you. You know, if I do that, I come to your house and tear you in half. Uh, which ends it off by being like, but he's your family. And sure, it's like, don't talk to me about family, robot. Uh, you know what? I'm getting tired of playing with you. That's the I chapter. Have no <laughs> I have no friends. Um, This was a very forgettable chapter. <laughs> and you were talking about an Eden Zero chapter. So. I, I was really like, wow, like half the chapter's a recap to something that is not that complicated, at least in my mind. Like, the I don't know. I guess it's tough remembering every stupid character it's evolved. Like, I guess if I hadn't gotten this, I'd have been like, oh, yeah, Eraser's a character, I guess, question mark. But, like, yeah, I don't know what the excitement's supposed to be. Like, I guess Jaguar has Jaguar turning into Ether as his specialty. I don't know. Sure. Who gives a shit? Let's talk about Red Hood. Uh, Maybe, like, every now and again, Hero's just, like, the outline for the chapter I have is just a few pages short. All right, I'll, I'll draw Xiao Mei's feet a few, a few pages. <laughs> just a little bit more. Okay, so. The Hunter's Guild, Red Hood. Chapter number seven, The Ironworks. Uh, last time Velo arrived at the uh, training grounds of the Hunter's Guild, which is not actually grounds, it's huge prison on a slightly smaller tank that just travels yeah. around all over the place. It looks like one of those shitty Ultra Beasts from Pokemon. Yeah, it's like, like a, that got like designed like last minute, so there's like oh, it's box paints. Well, isn't there, isn't there an Ultra Beast that's just a giant box, essentially? Probably. Like a fucking box thing. I'm just gonna type Ultra Beast box thing. No, I'm getting Pokemon card fucking advertisements instead. Box sets now, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is the Ironworks. And uh, basically the first thing that happens after we're established, like, here we are. Yes, yes. I was going to say, now we have to prepare ourselves because this page turn is pretty important. You're going to want to make sure you're ready ahead of time. Lest your nose explode with blood like a like a shitty anime character and you would hit the ceiling. Let me just put it this way to you guys. If you are one of the kinds of people, and no, 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 no judgment, just observing, uh, that's like, I want to be crushed between her ex. Ex can be anything with this girl, okay? See, she is a very strong lady uh, with very big, not muscle parts as well. So, but she is a big, strong girl. And um, yes. Uh, we are introduced to the conductor and instructor of the Ironworks, Debonair, who is also known as Debonair Diamond, also known as Hot-Blooded Debonair. You can't have two nicknames, okay? You can only have one. Don't do that. Yeah. Taking up all the good names, saving nothing for Big Joe Bonkers coming up later in the chapter. (laughs) (laughs) I've repeat. I... (laughs) Oh, uh, 
I've heard people so many people give out about um Randy Orton's dad for that reason because he was uh cowboy Bob Orton, but he was also ace Bob Orton. So you can't be ace and cowboy. You can't be you. both. You're not good enough. You're not good enough for one of those titles. <laughs> I was just watching uh, Rocky Four the other day, and throughout all the Rocky movies, Apollo Creed goes by one name. He is the master of disaster, Apollo Creed. In the last movie, they give him like four extra titles, one of them being the Count of Monte Fisto. And I was like, why is that right. not his one name? Because <laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, you're just like, wasn't really that much punching in that movie, <laughs> in that book, but whatever, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, they gave him four extra names, you know, one for each movie he's dead for. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Because they even make a joke. He's like, oh, you have enough names or whatever. It's like, really, it was like, who named you the Count of Monte Fisto? And why did they stop? (laughs) Who says I stopped? (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, I really wanted somebody to just be like, nah, I made up a whole bunch of names and I just gave them. I just, I have hundreds. (laughs) My eulogy is going to be four and a half hours long. Uh, my good friend, Paulo, a.k.a. <laughs> the King of Sting, a.k.a. the Count of Monte Fisto. But again, and rewatching the Rocky movies, they insinuate Rocky really has trouble reading, so it goes even, yeah. the Count of Monray. What does that say, Adrian? Monte Fisto. <laughs> well, Fisto's not a word. <laughs> what am I he's, like, he's actually really well researched <laughs> he's like if Fisto's now he's making up words this is his funeral oh, is this supposed to be a play on words on Monte Cristo I guess because <laughs> <laughs> that's not what the book was about I read the I, book I find it to be very derivative and uh, <laughs> honestly I find that this is beneath Apollo and yeah. I'm quite disappointed uh, because a man of his repertoire and his learnedness uh, would never <laughs> <laughs> you know what maybe this is why he died maybe he was too busy thinking about this stuff you know it wasn't the Russians at all it was fucking it was he was fucking he just tried too much he tried too much also, too many names d- like Draco couldn't speak English. He wouldn't understand all this wordplay. He did it for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Also, Draco gets a way better nickname upgrade. They start him as a Siberian bull. Then he kills a man and they start calling him Death from Above. And I was like, that's so fucking savage. <laughs> you, you're like, my boxing career from henceforward shall always call upon the day I killed a man in an exhibition match. Heart punch has killed two men. I mean, come on. <laughs> so, all right. Debonair. We are introduced to her. In addition to her largeness and tank top wearingness, she also has an eye patch. That's uh, not even a and, tank top. Uh, she... That's just like a fucking sports bra that is putting in yeoman's work. I, you know what? It really is. Whatever. So <laughs> uh, she uh, knows Grimm. Uh, and uh, greets her, although she's like, oh, you're so small, I didn't even see you there. And Grim's just like, I've got business here. Can you can you not right now? <laughs> so, uh, but uh, Grim says that she has three camp hopefuls, which means not only Velo is going to be going for this, but uh, 
Madly and murdered that the two siblings that were with them in the last chapter are also going to be trying to become hunters again. So, uh, uh, Debonair takes them on and, uh, she also shakes Velo's hand and is like, Hey, let's get you something to eat while you, while you wait here. Uh, and Velo observes like something's up with her hands. They felt really, really hot, which, I don't know, dude, like her hands are so big that they're like enveloping yours. Maybe that's just it. I mean, like human flesh, when it envelops your own feels warm. I don't know. Maybe there's nothing special about her. She's just big. Anyway, uh, we're re re reintroduced to what the Ironworks is. And also like told like they've got to endure the, the training program. Um, and only those who can handle Debonair's training regimen earn the right to arrive at Hunter's Guild headquarters and become a hunter. So. We get this uh, thing where uh, the crew then uh, uh, all salute Debonair, who struts in front of them, and she's also she's got like a uniform, like just kind of like thrown over the top of of her outfit. Um, and after they kind of give this big check on all of the things, they're like, "All right, we're setting sail on this giant tank building." Anyway, they're setting off. And uh, she makes an issue over the the speaker saying that our destination is the Hunter's Guild headquarters on Site Citadel, uh, uh, the island you won't find on any map. We have no stops on the way. And if you want to get off, I'll give you a boat. But you've got to row it home yourself. That is all. And uh, so they set off on this um, train track that I guess is just in the middle of an ocean of some kind. Uh, we see like, like the first day of proper training and Velo is talking to Tilty and Milty. That's their names. And it's like, uh, so you guys have been through training. What, what's going to happen next? And they're like, well, guidance. And so we are introduced to another camp participant whose name is what, Chris? Big Joe Bonkers. Big Joe. I legitimately, when I read it, I was like, it's gotta be like a mistake, right? Like someone accidentally, like their cat ran over the keyboard and they didn't notice it. And the dude's name's like Jeff or something like that. <laughs> but then when they call him it later, I'm like, shit. Mashal has a fucking competition now. I don't think that we've ever made reference to the 90s Disney cartoon Bonkers. But if we're not going to now, <laughs> I don't know if we ever will. All I remember is there was a schlubby cop and then they got rid of him and they partnered him up with like a ridiculously hot cop. And I was like, you're, you're pandering now to all these six-year-olds who are discovering their horniness through children's cartoons. Hey, a number of people who got certain vibes over the other Disney cartoons at the time because it turned them into furries. Oh, look, hey, we all watched Disney's Robin Hood. We all could see how it happened. Didn't happen to all of us, but like, you could see it. You think I know that there's like a thing amongst like furry communities that like, you know, there's like in history, there are certain like in this era, it was like, you know, Lola Bunny, like yeah. in this in the more recent era, uh, it, it was Zootopia for a bunch of people. But like, do, I do wonder, like, what if for some people it's like, yeah, but I, you know, I watched the the older thing. And, but it wasn't until like 19, you know, 99 that I happened to watch, I don't know, 
I'm trying to think, you know what? I'm not going to try and say something outlandish because someone has done it legitimately and a lot of people have done it legitimately for like any possible example I could give. So I don't know. I do wonder if like it's if it's actually so easy to delineate for people. It's like, oh, yeah, of course, the childhood thing that I saw. But anyway, whatever. I'm getting into some weird territory right now. I'm sure we could talk about it some more, but I don't really want to. Anyway, so <laughs> I have no idea where that tangent went. <laughs> I don't know. I was very much just like just kind of like letting my wine wander and see where it went. And I was like, I don't know if I'm coming to a point in any of this. <laughs> you just ended, you're like, uh, share con. All right, let's carry on. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sure like that voice <laughs> got a bunch of people. <laughs> anyway, so um, Bonkers uh, gets to know Velo. Seems nice enough. Uh, and uh, he's like, yeah, this is my fifth shot at the camp. And Velo's like, oh, so you failed four times. Ooh. But uh, but Bong is like, hey, hey, look. You're not going to make it because you're a scrawny kid. If you want a chance at this camp, you got to bulk up like me. And the same goes for you, too, Grandpa. And there's an older bearded guy there who goes, ooh, me? Yes. I, I don't think anyone else would get that pejorative. So, But, um, you know, Bonkers is like, hey, you really think you can cut it? And the manager says, yes, I'm serious about this. A werewolf took my family and I want to become a hunter and get revenge for them. And we are introduced to him as Bremen. Uh, I'm looking so, forward fellow- to Bremen getting his peanuts. Yeah. Well... That's going to be complicated a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Velo takes a liking to the guy because uh, obviously he reminds him of the mayor because, you know, he's an older bearded guy who wears a furry hat. Um, but uh, he extends his hand and introduces himself. And he's like, hey, I don't think age matters either. And Bremen's like, let's give this our best. And so they've made friends. Yay. Uh, Debonair then gets everyone's attention and says, hey, the regimen here at the camp is simple. We're going to train your bodies your minds, and your hearts. I'm not your mama. I'm going to knock you down every chance I get, and I won't pick you up. Get up yourself. And um, I don't know exactly what she means by simple, because it basically is boot camp, which, I don't, yeah, I guess that's simple enough. It's just really hard labor to train to train their bodies and stuff. But, uh, yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, this is an interesting little development because you're like, oh, wow, uh, it's going to be tough training. And then, like, the training's kind of basic stuff for Shonen. Like, yeah, I think back to, like, Hunter Hunter when they're like, here's the first stage of the exam. This this island's full of monsters. You step into that pit, it's not even like we're going to save you. You're just dead. You're dead forever. You're just dead. You're fucking dead. Like, I'm just used to that level of intensity when it comes to, like, a battle Shonen's training arc or whatever. And this one, it's just like, do pull-ups <laughs> like a yeah. lot of pull-ups i'm like well, that sounds damn right that sounds fucking possible <laughs> oh my god look at little fellow he's so ripped <laughs> <laughs> uh we do see that a few people give up and row away uh and debonair's like yeah if you want to give up i'm not gonna stop you go ahead train like your life depends on it for three months take that squishy body and heart of yours and transform it into steel if your squishy heart turns into steel it can't do its job as well anyway a week has passed. Velo is in the mess hall and he's just like, ah, there's a lot of food. I can't eat all of this. Um, but uh, 
Ascent, but Demonair like, encourages Vela and says, yeah, eat it. And it's a 2,000 calorie plate. So big muscles is what she's going for. Big heart attacky muscles. Because if that's one meal out of several meals in a day, you're going to be, oh boy. So, uh, but Velo does end up like throwing up the food. And he says, I wasted precious food and precious life. Presumably because it was all meat, I guess. But uh, shortly after he throws up, uh, he looks out the window and when he hears a splash and all, Bremen's abandoning the training camp and he's rowing away. And when he sees that Velo is looking at him, he just kind of lowers his head and keeps rowing away. Nick, I don't know how to tell you this. I'm going to lose my goddamn mind every single chapter of this fucking series until we find out when Bremen gets his goddamn peanuts. Like, it's going right. to bother me every fucking chapter. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, um, Bonkers comments on the fact that he hasn't seen Bremen around lately, but Velo comes back outside and he just finishes that meal that he couldn't keep down because he's ex his extra determination lets him stuff himself i guess i don't this is an eating manga now i guess he's what also eating see? lunch meat essentially with a spoon it's fish with Whole fish are in that <laughs> i don't know how you eat it with the spoon i really don't <laughs> I mean, there's whole f with heads in that bowl. No one yeah. is throwing it up if he's eating them like that. You're not supposed to eat the bones, kid. He's choking. Anyway, <laughs> he's crying and determined because he saw his buddy Bremen leave because he's like, I'm going to become a hunter. Which, all right. It's a weird thing to get your determination from while you're eating, but okay. Um, At that moment, we spot the giant wolf and Cinderella who are kind of hovering just on the surface of the water, like just the wolf's head and tail are kind of poking out. And they're watching the facility as it goes by. And uh, so uh, the witch is like, do you think the is going to get stronger? And the wolf says, well, don't get your hopes up. No matter how much we set the stage for him, he's still merely a stand-in. He doesn't have what it takes to be the star. But Cinderella's like, yeah, but everything's riding on him, right? And you worked so hard to raise him, too. Isn't that right, Mr. Mayor? And the mayor is there, but he's supposed to be dead. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. bum. So I guess he didn't get eaten by, I guess he didn't get eaten by the werewolf. It was, and it's all part of the... All part of the plan for Velo. Mm. Yeah. And maybe he's evil, question mark? Yeah, if he's with the... Mm, uh, it's I'll, chapter seven. I'll, <laughs> I'll be honest. I have a hard time understanding what these last pa two pages are doing. Because I'll be honest, the first time I read it, I was like, oh, so Bremen was the mayor all along. And he was like on the boat. And I was like, maybe that's not what I'm supposed to read. It's just that Bremen kind of looks a lot like him. Like, if you wore a lot of clothes, you yeah. could change appearance, which they've already established werewolves could do. And then he's sailing away in the water. And then the next time we see the mayor, it's him on a rock in the water, I think. Yeah. I don't know if it's supposed to be, if Bremen is supposed to have been the mayor. I I'm, don't know. I'm that. assuming not, because I, I, I would have assumed you'd give 
a little bit more of a clue. But at the same time, they introduce Bremen to be like the sympathetic person who's going to leave. And we never see Bremen between when he introduces himself to when he leaves. We don't see, not even in the montage, is there a shot of him doing anything. So it's hard to grasp what really his role is or was. Like, is he supposed to be the mayor or was he just a side character? I don't know. If it turns out that Bremen was not the mayor, and if we never see Bremen again, then his inclusion in this chapter is very weird and unfulfilling because he shows up and Bell's like, we're friends. And then he leaves without having done anything. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. It's interesting. So I'll say this. I, I kind of like this chapter in the sense that it is, like the last chapter, a good improvement over the last like this world is starting to get kind of interesting now this training arc again sucks i don't like it's so not shonen and exciting at all it's just like i don't know you do a hard a lot of hard labor and eat basically i'm like shit narrow's a martial arts manga and its training arc has been more interesting than this one at least that one you get to ride a horse uh but like that part's kind of boring but i i, I don't know like part of me kind of is enamored with sticking to your guns and you're like you know what got this series its first round of attention just jank just fucking tiggle bitties just giant ones and they're like i could draw bigger <laughs> give me him i can do bigger than that and boom oh. we have our new character <laughs> yeah i don't really have much to say about this chapter um it is potentially intriguing but just kind of potentially for right now, because yeah, all right. But what's actually going on then? If you're going to be like making a big deal out of like, but something else is going on. It seems like you're really going to, it does seem as though there is a very sudden increase in tension and intrigue because somebody said, Hey, you need to like actually grab people's attention faster. If it turns out that's not the case. And it was just, this was just always the way that things were going to go whatever but uh it is a bit of a it is a bit weird how the last two chapters have suddenly gone by the way isn't it weird how velo started deciding to become a hunter it's like well yeah but you wrote it that way so. <laughs> yeah i wasn't part of the town or anything like that you know i'm just an observer who sees what you deliver to us <laughs> and it's not that far off what a lot of manga already do so Okay, let's uh, move on to Magachan, God of Destruction, Chapter 55, A Story of Wicked Gods Adrift. Magu and Naputaku and Muskar wash up on a beach somewhere, on the middle of an uninhabited island somewhere. How did this happen? Well, as it turns out, presumably not too long after the previous chapter about, you know, a little beach sh- uh, shop and everyone helping out there, that uh, Niputuku and uh, Magu tried to uh, have a swimming contest because they're children. And uh, Muskar saw them and was like, how could he lower himself to playing in the water? I hate all of this. I hate swimming at the beach. And he uses Adjustment of Fate to blast them with a, with a tidal wave. Only um, then Naputuku yelled, a giant wave! And uh, it made Muscara lose control of his powers, and a much bigger wave came and swept all of them away and swept them all the way to this abandoned island. 
So here we are. Abandoned. It's it's uh, uninhabited island shenanigans because Nabutaku is uh, too strong for Muscar. So uh, everyone gets mad at each other for a bit. Uh, and Muscar is like, we have to find our bearings. I've got to get out of here. But uh, then um, he just falls into the water because he's so weak that he can't fly. Um, so they're just all stuck there. Uh, a bit of panic sets in. Um, and so it's up to our three chaos gods to survive and, and, and rough it. And I'm sure that they'll be just fine because they're all very competent and capable. Uh-huh. Look, fruit! Uh, and they, and Naputiku and Magu fight each other for the fruit. Uh, until Muscar just uses his manipulation of fate ability to make it drop into his hands instead. And he's like, hey, if I gain my physical strength first, I can use my fate ability to get us all to safety, so I should eat it. Magu's going to hit him with an eye beam, and he's like, no, 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 no. And then a pigeon snacks, it snacks, snags the, uh, the fruit. And out of the pigeon's leg, which has a little messenger uh, thing on it, Uneris comes out. And I don't care anymore. <laughs> it really this this chapter was going so well, and then Oneris shows up out of the fucking gourd or out of the pigeons, little carrier thing, and you're like, "All right, how many pages left to go?" All right. <laughs> uh, I guess that we only have to spend two thirds of the chapter with Oneris. It's staggering just how quickly just like uh <laughs> just deflated i felt um i mean like mostly it's a joke but this chapter really was kind of fun until she showed like sometimes it's like oh you know neris wasn't in the chapter and it's a really good one but this is one where i was like okay i'll just go along with it i guess and again uneris could solve the situation all in one go but she won't because she's an asshole. <laughs> she's like, I'll send my messenger pigeon to get help, but I'm just going to stay out there with you guys and chill out because I want to do a bunch of tropes associated with Uninhabited Island stuff. I was like, yes, that's why the three gods were on the island so we could do Uninhabited Island stuff. I don't need you to do self-referential <laughs> humor that isn't actually referential. It's just you pointing out the situation you're in. Oh, boy, I got to hang out. I guess, we, I guess we're at the point where we need to get food. That's what they do in all these survival things, right? You're just like, stop talking about what you're doing. Just let them do it. <laughs> oh, God. So, but Magu gets another idea because everyone starts arguing, but he's like, I'm going to conquer this island and make it part of my dominion. So there's still there is still some stuff going on this that's not completely derailed by Uneris' presence. Muscar is actually a little bit impressed by Magu being like, ah, oh, setting his sights on conquering things. Uh, of course, maybe I can and maybe I can get him to team up with me. And then Naputku just says, Hmm, I see there are no Nato growing trees. <laughs> because he is a child. <laughs> uh Unera says that they should construct a raft to make an escape vessel. Uh, Muscar, uh, night falls and Muscar is like, uh, we just all end up splitting off to do our own things. Maybe this disaster can work in my favor, though, because if we work together in this environment, then perhaps Magu Manuak can change. But then he comes in the next day and Magu and Uneris are dressed up as um, stereotypes. And uh, so Muscar goes, this change is too much. And Unera says, this is the standard apparel for desert island survival because she's on top of everything else, a racist. So uh, 
She only and follows bad tropes. Yeah, and, and Magu is being indoctrinated by her bad influence. So stay away from her. So um, then Magu is like, I've got a great idea. And he just sucks in a bunch of water from the ocean and then spits out a bunch of the fish that he sucks in along with it, which grosses, of course, a bunch of people out. Uh, Nabutaku, who had retreated into the woods to fend for himself, has gone feral because he's had no success. And so he steals some of the fish and then they grab him and uh, Magu and Uneris, um are going to roast him over the fire because Uneris is a bad influence on Magu. Uh, and Muscar tries to get everyone back together to like try and actually construct uh, a raft. And eventually they do make shoddy but ultimately actually pretty impressive vessel considering that they have no idea what they're doing and then Uneris uses her magic powers to put up an engine on the back of it which she could have done at the beginning of everything it's fun <sighs> so they all set off uh, from the island uh, but Magu and Nabutugu get into an argument because they can't agree over who's the captain because they're children. And so Magu starts to use his I-beams and, of course, immediately blasts apart part of the raft and it launches them all off of it and into the water. And uh, they're, oh, no, they're stuck. Oh, and they're being washed around by the current. And, oh, no, a dark shape is looming up from the water underneath them. And it's the Butaku's shark minion. Yay! Yay! You know, you said something a moment ago that got me thinking how they're arguing because they're children. And I was like, yeah, it is basically like a group of children. And Inaris is like the way older kid that shouldn't be hanging out with the kids, but keeps inviting yeah, themselves to hang. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You're like, oh, you should be hanging out with these kids. They're having a good time. You just fucking forced yourself into this. Yeah. And you brought your drugs and, uh... <laughs> and racism. <laughs> just like Angelica. <laughs> I watched, you know, some episodes of Rugrats. <laughs> My memory of Rugrats is kind of fuzzy. It's that one pudding joke, and then it's up in the air. But I'm sure if I find one up, it was made in the 90s. Come on, of course it was a little bit in there. Come on. You're saying it was never, never in, in there. Uh, so the shark gets everyone to safety. Yeah. And I do love that when it arrives on shore, it's it and Ruru are just happily waving at each other. Like, this is the most normal thing in the world. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, the shark brings everyone to safety and then says goodbye. Because, so, good for Niputaku's minion. Yeah. And, uh, shark payoff. Um, so, yeah, it started off promising, um, became sad for a while, and then the shark showed up and uh, gave us at least a nice ending to it. Which, time, so. really, that's, like, classic story structure, you know? Like, start off good, <laughs> maybe fall a little apart, up. then the have a shark show up in the third act. And it's going to be, things just get better. I don't know what to tell you. They just get better. Yeah, that's how Jaws went, you know? Yeah. Like, there, tourism was bad for a little while, and then a shark showed up and things were great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's, uh, that's it for Magu. Let's move on to Dr. Stone. Z equals 207, linking the circuit diagram. Last time, Senku tasked the uh, American company with making a bunch of circuit donut things so that they could make a calculator. Um, and uh, they uh, have this thing des designed up, and uh, when they construct it together, they're able to uh, 
make it so that they can add up to 255 uh, because all of these circuits, you know, multiply the whole thing by two, basically several times over. So um, at this point, you know, like even a lot of the modern people are like, I don't really understand this. I'm kind of getting lost. Uh, but uh, they have this schematic of how it's all supposed to be laid together. And Kaseki brings up like, that's that's a complex schematic. How do we get it to the folks in the Corn City? We can't just use Morse code. Uh, fortunately, um, Zeno has an idea. <laughs> I like use it. the Wi-Fi connection. <laughs> I like Zeno for two reasons. One, dude's just fucking chilling on his chair, fucking doing Morse code or whatever. Um, but two, the science of darkness has suggested the most evil science of all, the vax machine. <laughs> Listen, you guys, if we don't have this technology, we'll never be able to use the most evil of all forms of scientific advancement, porn. That's true. We'll be able to send dick pics to people if we don't invent the facts first. We won't be able to send dick pics to people and then allow people to have a safe space to send dick pics to each other and then take away that safe space. But then not really. We'll just say that we're not doing it now just yet. Current events. So. Anyway. Oh, the draft. Right. I got it. Yes. That's <laughs> what's going on. Also, um, Senku's example of how they're going to send faxes is poop. It'd be mine. Okay. <laughs> uh, there is a very, very simplistic explanation for how this machine works in terms of transmitting information. Um, but uh, so they've got this that kind of thing that they can send, and they're like, "All right, we can. We uh, from here, we've got to keep on globe trotting. Now that we've now that we've got this, and we've got Corn City working on this on this plan, we've still got to go around and do a bunch of other stuff." And. Uh, Oh gosh, I've already forgotten Reese's brother's name. Sai. 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 Sai is like, okay, yeah. I mean, it was good seeing you guys, but I'll be seeing you now. Goodbye. And Reese's like, get out of here. No, get out of here. You're coming with us, right? I mean, come on, we're shipping out. And Reese says, no, no, I'm not going with you, Reese. No. And uh, so everyone's a little bit shocked by this. And uh, Sai goes off by himself. He's like, oh, my God, is always like this. He just he's always like, oh, I want everything. I want everything. Do this side. Do that side. I came all the way to India alone to get away from him. How did it come to this? Uh, we see that Ryusui is, you know, freeing a bunch of the population of India who are all giants like the Great Kali. Um, and... Uh, Information about the facts has been passed on, and Corn City sends back uh, something to show that they've got their thing working. They've taken a big group photo to send back to everyone, which is a nice... Uh, With all nice my thing. favorites. Uh, Taiju, Yuzuria, Yo, um, Ear Dude, The Jeweler, Bald Science Guy, and the rest. All my favorites. Um, Yeah. I'm going to assume that Nikki's the one taking the picture because I'm, because I'm pretty sure like she's still in charge, right? <laughs> so, 
But uh, so Sai kind of like sees this as, and they, they do do a nice thing. It's like they immediately hang up the photo on the wall. It's like, oh, that's nice. You know, they're still together in, in some way, despite being on different corners of the globe. And Sai is looking at this and he's like, oh, a group photo. And he's reminded of something. But we get the details filled in later. Uh, so Gen kind of sees, observes the tension between Ryusui and Sai and is like, ah, oh, this is, uh, I feel like I could do a little bit of prodding here to try and get at the, at the core issue underlying between these two it's time it's time for i as uh, someone a master of the human psyche uh intrude and gently nudge things towards resolution and then uh chelsea just comes in is like hey why don't you guys get along because she has no indoor voice um and no manners so uh but uh Sai says that the picture that they were sent reminds him of the Nanami Corps group photos and how Ryusui and I were always left out. Just us. We were the only ones who weren't born to the matriarch of the Nanami family, which I don't know if we knew that before, that uh, they were like from an extramarital affair or something like that. Um. Or if they were adopted or something like that. It may have been so. brought up at some point, and I've forgotten the details over time. Uh, so Dr. Chelsea starts to uh, uh, butt in on this, but again, just kind of like, no, just, just let him talk for a second. And so Sai uh, explains that, yeah, I was forced to, to study math, molding me into a useful, loyal soldier, and Ryusui was the opposite because nobody could control him. It's just, you know, how he is. And we see, you know... A, of course, some shots of Ryusu going, hey, Sai, I desire your power. Hey, let's go and calculate this thing. Let's go help me help me out and do this thing. And um, of course, Sai got frustrated over this. And he's just like, Ryusu, we only ever thought about how we could exploit other people. And so he ran away to India. And when Ryusu came to see him, he was like, hey, help me, you know, help me you know, whip my chest skills into shape, Sai. And he brought the board. He's like, hey, come on, let's play. And he goes in the size room and he's just not there. And Ryusui was just like, where is he? And Chelsea, of course, is really upset by this. And she's like, oh, this is that's really that's really stirring. And Sai's like, what are you talking about? I just told you what a selfish ass my brother is and how he just constantly exploiting and using people. And Gen says, Ryusui just wanted to spend time with you. That's how I feel about it. He just wanted to be with his brother so all those things that he was saying i mean did he ever say like order you to oh getting a little bit of an internet up there do the thing uh so sai is left to ponder this um and uh, he thinks about, you know, the way that Reese would always phrase things to him and how he was like, and even in the most recent thing that he requested of him was, hey, we're going to ship out together, not you get over here and come with me and stuff. Reese, barges into his room in the present and uh, he's uh, he says, hey, why don't you whip my skills into shape? Let's play some chess together. And Sai tries to wave him off and, and deny him the same way that he always does. But he second guesses himself, and he's like, all right, sure, let's play. And uh, so they start playing, and Ryusu's just like, man, you're, like, unbeatable, because, you know, when it comes to logic games like this, you're just you're just a complete and t- another mass master. And as they're playing, 
size, thinking about their relationship together. And uh, as he goes to move a piece, eventually Rusui catches his hand and he says, I'm going to be bored, you know. I desire a worthy opponent to play against on the high seas. And the next day comes and everyone's loading up the Perseus and Sai gets on board the ship. And we just get a little message saying Sai has joined the party and nothing is said. There's just a little bit of a look between the two brothers and Senku and then they're off. Are they leaving anyone in India? Like I remember they were going to establish Math City for whatever that was. And I guess it was just finding one dude and be like, this guy's smart enough. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I might be forgetting something, but I was like, I guess they're just, I guess those two giant people they found are, gonna, they're going to rule civilization and eventually become cloud giants. I presume. I don't know what else are they going to do. <laughs> um, well, I guess that they really just needed like, the know-how but then they were like i guess we'll just make a computer that'll do this yeah. <laughs> all right nick let's move on to mashal magic and muscles chapter 74 mash burn dead and the challenge to end all challenges uh, we get a cool cover spread with a lot of uh vaporware kind of colors to it very cool mm -hmm. we also get an opening color page as well as lemon is going over Mash's score so far. They basically had him take a couple tests to understand where he's at, and at Magical Languages, he got 30 points. With Magical History, he got 10 points. And with Magical Potions, he got 3 points. And also Mag Mag Magical Mathematics. Yeah. <laughs> well, we saw how good he was at math last chapter, so... Uh, and Mash is just freaking out. He's just shaking and going, uh, 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 uh... <laughs> Uh, so they're like, all right, he, you've been able to get this far by acing everything physical, but the written tests are actually an issue. So he, he like, I guess he just really hates studying. And Mash is just like, I want to go home. And they say, don't worry, we'll back you up. And Mash is like, Dot, you're good at studying? Dot, with a big smile, is like, yeah, I sure am. Studying's one of the easiest ways you can progress towards your goal. I think of it as practice for the real work and do a little bit every day. Plus, it looks good on your record. You don't want to look back on your youth with regret. And Mash just starts freaking out because he thought he had at least one other idiot with him in the group. <laughs> but it turns out Dot's actually a good student. So he's like, oh god, I need help. Teach me, please. I do like well-explained um, subversions of expectations when it comes to scholarly performance and stories. Like, I did like that about Bleach when they established like, no, Ichigo like studies because he, <laughs> because you know he cares about his future and stuff. He's not just some asshole who does nothing all day. So. Yeah. Uh so we 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 start with Lance giving them some stuff like, all right, we're gonna go straight to the application. You know, go go straight for test points. Just starts explaining different things, and the the course of it is that he keeps explaining so much about. The trick to remembering magical linguistics and and all this stuff, magical history. Eventually, Mash's head just explodes, uh, and his hair's frizzed up, indicating he actually did have an explosion in his head. Uh, and he just says, "I can't. I'm never going to be able to do this." And they say, "It's not a matter of can't or can't." And Lance appropriately says, it, "It's this or expulsion." <laughs> <laughs> so 
we see time passing. Uh, the you know the clock is is turning. Uh, the other kids are looming over Mash, except for Finn, who's just watching them loom over him. Like he's in the same you shop. Are, you but... guys are being really weird right now. <laughs> Mash sees them, stops, closes his eye, and then leaps out a window to escape. Uh, Lance says, "Let him go. I don't have time to waste on somebody who refuses to learn." But Finn's like, ah, "I'm going to go looking for him." So he finds Mash, who is I very- do, I do, I do like that. They're all like, "We gotta go stop him!" And then Lance says, "No, let him go." And Finn's like, "I'm gonna go look for him." Yeah. <laughs> and he finds Mash buried up to his neck in the ground, and Mash says, "I'm letting the Earth reclaim me." <laughs> uh, but and Mash is just like, "Look, I'm sorry. Studying is just too hard." Finn's like. But that's not the mash I know. The mash I know doesn't hesitate to take on even the most impossible opponents. And he says the best line of the chapter. He says, and I want to graduate together with that mash. So let's try again, okay? And mash just says thank you and pulls himself out of the ground uh, very easily. Uh, There's a bunch of moles uh, on top of him. So I guess the moles helped to bury him. Maybe he just stood there and the moles buried him slowly. And that's that's how he got so deep down there. Uh Mash apologized for right now, asked if they could train him one more time, and we get a little narration that Dusted Mash, despite studying not being his best point, find himself doing his best. And we yeah. see... There's one There's one last little joke where, like, Dot tries to give him a hard time. He's like, oh, I don't know if we should help you. I mean, if you do that, and Mash is like, yeah, just sit down, we're gonna help you. And Mash's <laughs> like, yeah, come on, we can do it. And Dot's like, what? Do, do you actually think I'm that petty? I was messed, I was messing around. <laughs> Everyone's like, hey, we don't know, you're kind of an asshole sometimes still. <laughs> uh, we get a montage showing him doing some studying, also sometimes studying while working out. Uh, the time for the test eventually comes, and he's super panicking, he uh, eventually, I guess, finishes the test, and uh, he's just sweating bullets. But then the day of the test comes back. This is it. Our graduation. And teacher calls him up and says, Mash, you have been nothing but rebellious towards the school system, and your grades are always aw- awful. I'd say you won't be here much longer. But I see that you put in, you can put in effort on occasion. And, uh, he barely scrapped by, basically. He had a 40s, 50s, and pretty much everything. And Mash just blows out his nose and says, Well, that was easy peasy. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone starts kicking him. Uh, but yeah, a little narration just notes Mash received immeasurable help for the exam. The memory of his friends reminded him of something important. It is through the help of others that we are able to progress. Yeah. And even sees a little flashback to him when he was taking the test saying, oh, Finn taught me this one. Talk again. <laughs> yeah, teacher's <laughs> like, stop talking. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a sweet little chapter. Um, there there are some nice little jokes in it. It's a bizarrely like soft chapter for how Mashal usually is, but it's nice. Mm-hmm. I do like those moles, though. Yeah. Well, I kind of want moles to show up more for every, whatever reason now. Every chapter. Yeah. We are going to move on now to the Elusive Samurai. Chapter 28, Nasty Drunk, 1334. Uh, so night has fallen on the first day of the battle that everyone was taking part in. We see that Kojiro has suffered a number of cuts and bruises, but he is he's okay. He's just like sore and complaining. Um, 
Genba notes that it's a miracle that they weren't wiped out by the enemy uh, up to this point. And Kotra says, yeah, they would have crushed a lesser force. Fighting alongside these guys, I realized how stubborn they are in hand-to-hand combat. Hoshina's force is tough, and if they survive, they'll serve the young lord well. And uh, we get one more joke from the really nice-faced crazy guard guy whose mouth is covered in blood and he refuses to eat because he ate too much raw meat during the battle. So he's a cannibal. And uh, he's presumably going to be working with Tokiyuki for the future. Um, Meanwhile, Hoshina, the general, has drawn his sword on Tokiyuki because he's so pissed off at what he said at the end of the last chapter, you know, saying, like, I have no interest in the manner of your death. And uh, Hoshina is just like, what what the hell are you mean by that? My rage kept me alive today. But Tokiyuki says, well, yeah, but isn't that a good thing? Because you survived. But Hoshina says that it's not a good thing if you survive when not dying when you should means living on in shame. And he's revealed to be drunk. And he's got a ball of, of alcohol that he's knocking back when he talks about pride and honor. And he's like, you know, a runt like you doesn't know anything about these kinds of things. And warriors who choose a glorious death are praised by future generations. And that's why I... Blah, blah. But this all just kind of like fades out as he rants on and Tokiyuki just loses his patience with him. And Tokiyuki is just thinking about all of the people in the Hojo clan who died honorably when they were massacred and how little difference their deaths actually made and how they're ultimately just going to be forgotten by future generations, despite the fact that they died when they were supposed to. And the truth is, most people aren't interested in who dies an honorable death. So Tokiyuki swipes a nearby bottle of alcohol and he splashes it into Hoshina's face. And he just says, are you sober now? And as it sprays everywhere, Hoshina is quiet for a moment and he lunges at Tokiyuki and tries to stab him. But of course, Tokiyuki is too swift. He dodges away immediately. And Tokiyuki says, you guys are all drunk on the idea of a beautiful death. If you live, you can continue resisting the evil Kakushi and give hope to the oppressed. But dying honorably leaves nothing behind except those without the power to resist. And uh, so he just says, like, you know, it sounds romantic, sure. But you're really just avoiding responsibility. And look at all of your faces right now. You're abandoning your people. Are these the faces? These are the faces of self-centered warriors. Are they beautiful? No, they're not beautiful. They're just annoying and immediately everyone's faces kind of soften when they hear this like they're shamed out of like scowling and looking angry and stuff there's one guy whose eyes are revealed to be very very tiny which is made a little joke of because the series is a really rapid fire sense of humor occasionally Mm. but anyway so um everyone notes like he's being like a little more aggressive than normal isn't he and it turns out that little tokiyuki Got drunk because a little bit of the alcohol they splashed into Hoshida's face got on him, and that made him drunk immediately. And Tokiyuki, as it turns out, has his own drunken style, which is to attack ass first. Drunken butt style. It's, um... It's weird. (laughs) But it is weird in the same way that the series just has been weird in terms of its, okay, serious stuff. 
really weird humor thing in the middle and then back to serious stuff immediately after without really thinking about it anymore. But this goes on for a couple of pages. Just Tokiyuki starts beating up this guy with his ass. Like it's, it's full on Keijo for a few pages as he just dives butt first through the air. And Fubuki is acting like this is a huge breakthrough. He's like, of course, using his runaway muscles to flee toward his enemy in a gluteus maximus attack. And Gamba just says, that is so dumb, <laughs> which I am more inclined to agree with than what Fubuki said. I, uh, I like this because someone in our, our Discord pointed out that, like, I want to immortalize the moment where Nick said, uh, Wow, the elusive samurai is really something special with the line of uh, someone shouting, First, call off his butt! <laughs> <laughs> and I will have you note that in that same chapter where that I said this, this series is something special, there was a bit where everyone thought Tokiyuki was a massive pervert because he was getting a bunch of weird items. <laughs> so... Uh. Sometimes it'd be like that. So... Um, Hoshida has apparently been so shocked by the ass attack that he's come to his senses and he's like, please call off his butt. And, um, so Tokiyuki very quickly afterwards just kind of like collapses into his attendant's arms. And, uh, the, uh, guy who was hoping that Hoshida would be talked down talks about how all the young boys there are like, look, thanks to all of their efforts, we survived the day, but it was Barely. We're not going to have that same fortune twice. And if we fight tomorrow, we're all going to die. So what are you going to do? And so Hoshina bows his head and he says, all right, we'll flee to the north and we'll regroup. And then he gets the thought and he says, like, how old is that kid? And Kojiro is like, yeah, he's nine. And Hoshina's like, a boy too young to even drink spoke as if he's more experienced in bloodshed than me. What an odd child. So. He gets everyone to uh, set out on a full retreat. And uh, when the Kokushi uh, gets word about how the battle went that day, he gets really mad at his generals for not wiping everyone out. Uh, uh, Sawamura's um, ear general guy is like, I hear a bunch of soldiers uh, moving. So uh, they're, they're fleeing. Isn't this great? Now we can just claim the territory without having to actually fight anyone. And Kakushi immediately grabs him by the ear and starts painting up his face really angrily like he's Jigglypuff from the uh, from the Pokemon card anime. And uh, he's like, no, if we let them escape, they're going to come back and bother us later. We've got to kill all of them. But uh, the, the lieutenant's just like, if you try and chase after them, it's not going to work because there's this weird gang of kids that that are used by Sua like like spies and if we take any unnecessary risk then they're really going to make us pay for it. and Kakushi's like then we'll just kill them let's go and so he has all of his forces chase after uh, Hushina's troops and Tokiyuki who sobers up uh, while they're on the road and he has a little bit of a talk with uh, with uh, Kojiro about it and he's like I don't really remember how that conversation went and Kojiro makes ass pun jokes okay um, but after that, uh, he says, yeah, when I got irritated at him for rushing to die, it taught me something about myself. I don't want to die no matter what, instead of killing myself, I should try to live 
even if it kills me because people die when they are killed and yeah so but uh he says you know that might be improper conduct for a warrior the path i walk is inglorious but will you walk it with me and Kodro just smiles at him and he's like yeah of course instead of accompanying you to your death i will accompany you through your life so a nice little moment between the two of them and uh so she, the kakushi's forces are swiftly approaching so we'll uh i'm sure see uh their escaping battle coming up yes. in the next chapter so i'm very curious to see how they they manage that because i assume escaping with everybody alive is going to be a pretty difficult task and if the promised neverland has taught us anything then there's you know a high amount of tension there because if even one person dies then that is an unacceptable loss you can't let that happen not the, even the, the least important person can die the guilt of losing anybody anybody and even someone we never met before because to us the reader we might not know them but to you they were family that would carry with you the entire series you would talk about it all the time you definitely wouldn't like not know someone's name. <laughs> you definitely yeah. wouldn't just let them never be named throughout the series. <laughs> never say anything to that point. Yeah. So yeah, um, I know that the Elusive Samurai has this weird, untimely sense of immature humor about it, but it was the one part of this chapter that I just did not care for, and it did kind of. Really, it was very distracting because it happened. So I came away from this just chapter just being like, yeah, it was all right. I could have potentially really liked it because I think that there are uh, some really nice speeches that are given in this. But that's all I can think of in this from this chapter. Like, and then Tokiyuki attacked him with his butt and um, didn't really care for that. So Now, uh, I... I... I kind of found it a little bit amusing. I think as a whole, this arc is finally, I don't know, for some reason when it comes to Elusive Samurai, it takes a while for me to get into arcs. Mm -hmm. Like I had the same thing last time where usually like I'll read the chapter and not think much and then you'll recap and I'll be like, oh yeah, I guess that was a bit more interesting, but I don't have much to say on the moment. This is, I think, where the chat, like this arc in particular has turned about and I'm like, all right, now I feel like I have more things to say. Like now I'm going to be more excited. I kind of found the butt thing charming though, but that's because I have like the, the sense of humor of like a seven-year-old at points and uh, just the idea of a bunch of butt stuff was kind of... Uh, well, I can't say a bunch of butt stuff was funny because that implies something very different. A bunch of butt slam attacks. Let's go with that. <laughs> anyway, Nick, let's talk about Black Clover, page 303. Glad tidings, speaking of butts. Um, and it's not a segue that works here, but said it anyway. Uh, we get a flashback to when Nozelle was holding little baby Noelle and her mom died. Oh, no. Uh, and Nozelle thinks... I couldn't do a thing. And after the curse was set on her, mother rapidly wasted away. The members of our family knew nothing. They had assumed it had to be done with the recent birth. But when mm -hmm. the curse warding spell was cast on mother, mm -hmm. I was hit with a secondary effect. Oh, really? If you tell anyone that Mejikula had a hand in Aishir Silva's death, you will die. If you talk about it, the one who heard you will then be struck with the curse, and the spell will spread like a disease. Oh man, you better not tell anyone about Noel then. I couldn't tell anybody. I'll just have to do something about this myself. I'll have to save Mother to find a way to break the curse. And uh, 
And Aesir's deathbed, she says, no, Zell, that's enough. Please, if you keep this up, your life will be in danger. And Zell's like, oh, but it isn't easy to get stronger. She says, don't worry. One day, all of you will be stronger than me. So live, Nozel. And one year after she was struck with the curse, Mother died. For that year, all I could do was watch helplessly. Oh, and he couldn't tell anyone, though. So I guess that that just, like, removes all sense of guilt, any hand that you had, and how Noelle was treated throughout her entire life. Couldn't couldn't tell her anything, so he's there at the gravestone just thinking, stronger. I have to get stronger. And we get, like, a a visual symmetry of the cross on her gravestone and the big stupid cross he has on his fucking braid he hangs over his nose, which I guess is deep. (laughs) I can just imagine. (laughs) Because there's the connection there between, like, so between Aesir's death and that, so I guess the worst meant to me like, oh, that's how he remembers his mom. But I just want to think like him just like in his bathroom when he's a teenager braiding his hair so he can put it to his, this will help me get stronger. It would make a lot of sense that 15-year-old a- uh, Nozel, after his mom died, did a hairstyle so ridiculously stupid and without a mother figure there to be like, what are you, come on, no, I know you're trying, it's... Let's clip your bangs, honey. Yeah, let, me, let me fix that for you, I see what you're going for. Hanging it above your head is not the way to go. Uh, so I was like, no, I, I, I have to avenge mother someday so that I can protect my siblings, I have to get stronger. No, Nebra and Solid are growing stronger, but they're no match for an opponent like that. And Noel, and it's a shot of young Noel asking if Nozelle would teach her magic. And he's like, if there's no chance she'll get stronger, then it'd be best to, it'd be best to shut her away. And Bianca... How do you know that she won't get stronger? Well, because at that point, her mana was poorly controlled. That was that was always okay. Noel's thing at what okay. point. Okay, a question. Okay. Um, so you couldn't tell anyone because you were struck by the side effect from the uh, ceiling curse thing. Mm-hmm. Why didn't your mom tell anyone? She was probably also struck oh, with it. Oh, she was just too tired. <laughs> that uh, voice. Yeah. I was. She was only alive for oh, a year. Man. It's all. It's just a little year. How do you have time to tell people all these things? Uh, so Piakia is like failures like you aren't needed on the battlefield, and that's why he's cold to his sister. He's like, because. You know, he has deep reasons. He actually does care. He does care about Rukia. He just can't, he can't let it in with her. He's got to be, he's got to be an asshole on the surface. Yeah. Um, But then he also just says mean shit too. Like, why did mother have to die? Give me birth to somebody like you. You killed our mother. And uh, in his head, he's like, no, I killed her. I was useless. And it's like, nowhere in the fucking rule book did it say you had to fucking treat her like a piece of shit. You could have just stopped at failures like you are needed on the battlefield. That's mean enough. But then implying she was the reason your mom died is so much more fucking harsh. Uh, I hated this. (laughs) This. Oh, no. We want you to like Nozel now. So I'm going to absolve him of all the bad stuff that he did. See, he had no choice, guys. Like, <laughs> no, he did. He really did. <laughs> and he was and he chose to be a dick. Like at least you made the comparison to Biakia and Rukia earlier and I'm I mean this is obviously that's just like, you know, a very well-known example that this kind of thing has been done in shonen manga a whole lot, you know, the asshole who had good reasons for being an asshole kind of thing. But when Biakia did that, 
he owned up to the fact like, yeah, I'm sorry that I was like that to you. Like, the, I mean, I was conflicted and stuff, but ultimately I chose to be that way. So I'm sorry and I won't do that anymore. And we saw that their relationship improved and was constantly showing results after that because he stopped being a dick to her and let her thrive. But and there but there was no thing that was like, well, I couldn't tell you the truth because magic. <laughs> That's my favorite part. It's uh, the magic spell. Something that I maybe if I read back all the way I could find something, but to this point does not feel like something that was suggested in a text at any point in time that is like Hold on, he has something he desperately wants to say. If only he didn't have a magic curse on him that prevented him from ever saying that he he, he loved his sister and he was just trying to protect her. Um, anyways, uh, it, we get more. I gotta get stronger, stronger. I should become the Wizard King. I can't die now. I have to be stronger for what's bound to come. And Nozel just says, right now I give my thanks to everyone present. For at last, we meet again! And he says, this is going into this attack. And he he, he shoots a, a bunch of mercury rods at Medjugula. And she's like, oh, what? I touchy you, but is this what all it is? I'm sorry, but we devils don't possess that sort of emotion. We don't care for all your nonsense. Uh, and it's Aesir. I don't know where she said this. I guess she said it to Nozel at some point. But it's very specifically in reference to him and Noel, because she's like, you have the strength of steel and the flexibility of water. Uh, and uh, he's like, don't think you can block this. And she's like, oh, my blood is fizzling. The steel has gotten inside. Something happens. This art is fucking incomprehensible to read. It's well done, but I have no idea what's happening. I can't even tell what's Medjicool at that. I guess it's her heart that's left there. But I see, Chris. <laughs> When you get inside someone and reach their heart, you can just do anything to them. It doesn't matter if they're the Hulk. You can just make their heart get really big, and that means he explodes, because that's how hearts work. By the way, What If Episode 3 is really stupid. So <laughs> oh, I forgot there even is a What If Episode 3. I forgot there's a new episode. What is the What If? What if all the Avengers just died? <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right. Fuck. Uh, it's it's really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> is it the zombie episode? I know there's no. a... Okay. All right. It's just a no, separate... No, no. It's, it's even dumber than that. <laughs> All right. Uh, does Ant-Man at least jump up Thanos' butt and explode him afterwards? No, he, he jumps up everyone else's butts and explodes them. <laughs> what? Hank Pym goes crazy and kills all the Avengers. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, so he just says, but he, um, uh, Medjicula, I guess, is like, but even then, you can't destroy the heart. It's a I'm supreme sorry, I devil. did spoil that for everyone, but sorry, but I, it's, I was so upset by that. <laughs> uh, Medjicula is just like, you can't destroy my heart. And Noel's like, oh, or Noel's like, oh, I suspected I was wrong after all. I shouldn't have shut her away or kept her out of this because we needed to grow stronger together. Noel in her saint stage. Cuts open the heart. Boom. The humans who refuse to give up beating you, Medjicula. And Medjicula says, it appears I misjudged your true strength, humans. And she even thinks to herself, I was wary of them because I thought there was no way I would lose to humans. Is that why I let myself take an interest in the power of their emotions? And uh, I guess Aesir from Beyond the Grave thinks, 
you two have grown really strong. And I would like to say that shot is nice, but it just reminds me of the fact that Noel has no pants on nothing. Yeah. It is a really awkward shot. She uh, wears less clothes when she's in the Valkyrie form than she wears without it. Where do her... the shorts go? I don't understand. No, <laughs> I would just assume the shorts would have been underneath her skirt. But as this and several other shots have shown, no, it's not. Also, from all shots we've seen, presumably no underwear either. Uh, it's one of those things where you're like, that doesn't feel like that should be the case. <laughs> you couldn't have given her at least a magic fucking water thong to at least make things a little less awkward, but whatever. Um, I like parts of this chapter in theory. I think that as schmaltzy as it is, it is very nice that because the curse is broken forever, their mom gets to hug them and they're mm -hmm. they're they're emotional about it. That is potentially nice but as you said the shot in which she hugs them you feel like she's just gonna say no well sweetie put on some pants uh, because <laughs> i didn't choose the outfit mom to be clear and you're like yeah but i've seen the rest of your outfits you don't wear pants a lot of the time <laughs> so uh i think that the action leading up to the final thing potentially nice and it is nice that you know, Noel is actually is finally the one that actually strikes the final blow. Yeah. You know, she needs a lot of help from her family and her friends to get there, but she did do it. Megami got her big win. That's all that it doesn't matter how it happened. She won an important Shokugeki. <laughs> so, so I will take it. The whole thing with Nozel's backstory is such a gargantuan cop out to completely conveniently free him from responsibility for the way that he treated his sister in a way that does not because yes as you so succinctly put it he still didn't have to be an asshole to his sister he could have been much more ambiguous up to this point this series is over six years old at this point and we've had a lot of nozel he hasn't shown up a whole lot but we've shown he's shown up enough times and like about halfway through the series he was magically just like treating her a little bit better, but it was because she was useful now. Mm -hmm. And that does not speak very well to him. It would have been more satisfying if whenever something came up about people blaming Noel for their mother's demise, if he got like really weird about it. Yeah. But instead he just went along with it. And you would think that for something that he literally has dedicated half of his life to to getting revenge that he would not just go along with that that he would just have some sort of big emotional gut wrench re gut uh jerk reaction to whenever that topic got brought up it's like oh you're the reason your mom died he's like you shut the fuck up about that like don't talk about that i could but yeah i i, I could understand like all right he was a kid when it happened He's he's burying all this guilt. He doesn't respond to it the best way. But it is something where you're like, yeah, your fucking other siblings weren't under the fucking curse, though. And they treated Nozel Noel like shit. And you as the older brother had some measure of responsibility to protect her to that degree. Like, it, like you could say like, oh, well, I was trying to protect her. I was like, yeah, I get your twisted way of being mean to her to try to demotivate her from ever getting onto the battlefield so you can protect her by proxy or whatever, whatever. But your siblings were also just as shitty to her. Like, 
you'd assume he, if he really cared about Noel that much, he'd be like, look, I could be an asshole to her. I can't say why. Some fucking magic curse shit. But you guys can't. Or at least something. Like, it's just one of those things you're like, yeah, none of this fucking adds up. Like, which is a shame. I know. I'm sure. I mean, this makes me strongly suspect that this was not the plan all along, which I'm not going to use that as a knock against the series because so many Shonen Jump manga, a lot of storylines are just kind of like half improvised, I guess, is, is a way of putting it like you don't have necessarily the entire story done when you first begin the manga. So plans with Nozel probably changed at some point. You can't just magically go back and change the way that he behaved towards her. I'm just saying that this explanation is too clean for what we have seen from him and is not properly uh, uh, retcon what we have seen mm. so, so far. So did not did not care for it. I still do ultimately like this fight. I think this was a good fight overall, and I like the conclusion. Um, but yeah, it's a. Uh... It's good stuff generally, but the way it's executed leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, I mean, it had there was a lot more moving parts that were going on in this one than in the mag in the Magnum one. So that one, which had one element basically, and we liked that one element. Yeah, really easy to say is like, yeah, great. This one had just a lot more stuff going into it. Some parts I liked, some parts I didn't like. So, but it's a much more complex thoughts as a result, yeah. but that's just kind of to be expected by the differing natures between the two. <sighs> okay. We're going to close then on one piece chapter 1022. The stars take the stage. Uh, we get another one of the kind of recaps of the battle that we've gotten periodically throughout the stuff going on at Onigashima. Uh, including like the locations of a bunch of the competitors, especially uh, the uh, Toby Rappo and where they have fallen uh, during the course of these events. Um, and uh, also knowing like, hey, there was this numbers difference between the Animal Kingdom Pirates and then the Samurai Pirate Alliance. That gap has been closing because of a Thomas Mila dumpling strategy. And now the Toby Rappo are down and out. So the tide is really turning now at this point and the time left until onigashima which is now above the wano mainland reaches the flower capital is only 15 minutes luffy's uh eating a lot he's a he's a big he's a big guy now so uh we cut to the third floor of the castle where uh the most important battle is unfolding which is between fukurokuju and raizo <laughs> Turns out Fukurokuju uses earlobe ninjutsu. Okay. Uh, they have a they argue with each other as they as they battle. Fukurokuju saying that uh, as Shinobi they exist to serve the shogun, whomever he is. Uh, meanwhile, the man you serve is a ghost. Uh, uh, you and that's and he says like, hey, you know, you were too emotional to ever succeed at the way of the Shinobi. Uh, and Raizo's like, yeah, well, those emotions are what make us who we are. And on that fateful day, we laughed together and cried together. We perished together with Lord Odin. And now we are mere ghosts driven to carry out the wish of our Lord. It was not his order to us, not a mere duty. Each of us chose to follow our emotions and carry out this mission of our own free will. If we must die to accomplish that, then so be it. 
Today, the long, dark night of Orochi and Kaido ends, and a glorious sun rises over the land again. Lord Momonosuke shall be Shogun. It's a cool speech. I don't know why Raizo delivered it, but it was a cool speech. <laughs> Nick, it's an important fight. Everyone cares. Uh, also, it's, uh, you know, we got we to gotta touch on all the fights this week, except for Dog Storm and, and Jack. <laughs> Fuck don't, Jack. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that one. <laughs> Uh, we also get a bit of Killer and Hawkins. Uh, they've been fighting for some time. We see that some of Hawkins' straw doll things that use as substitutes are littered across the ground. And uh, Killer's just like, how many of those do you have left? And Hawkins says, I don't have many left, but... Uh... <laughs> can I Can I just note something? Hawkins was my favorite supernova. Hawkins fucking blows he fucking sucks he's maybe the biggest loser in one piece his whole thing is like i'm a fucking straw man so i can put fucking souls you think like oh i basically have disposable lives to be cool but he never cease to do anything with having like 30 extra lives this fight still looks like he has not touched killer at all he's just been gotten fucking murked 30 times basically and that's all he's looked like since he's shown up in wano uh like, I'm like, does this dude have an offensive attack, or does he just stand there, get cut through the throat, and a little straw hat dude falls out, and he's just like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> like, he's just... Look, you... oh, okay, actually, stop st- stop killing those. I'm... Look, I don't have very many. Look, stop it. I, I know I have no import- impressive offensive powers, but you've got to stop this. <laughs> he's like, one day you'll get tired of killing me, <laughs> and that's when I strike. Like, that's his game plan. He's like, I have 60 people in my crew. After he kills all of them, killing me over and over again, he'll surely be so tired and I stab him in the heart. And then I'll just go into town and hire a new crew. (laughs) (laughs) And make them dump my whole crew's bodies off the side. (laughs) Where did all these guys come from? Don't worry about that. Anyway, put this straw in your mouth. (laughs) Uh... But yeah, Hawkins admits he doesn't have very many uh, of his straw doll things left. But he says, but while there are few left, the real question is, whose lives are they? And we cut over to where Law and Kid are facing off with Big Mom. And uh, wounds appear on Kid's body. Oh no, Hawkins is going to force Killer to kill his own captain. What's going to happen? Um, and Hawkins is really, really smug about this. He's like, the only way you can finish me is by personally killing your own captain. So put on a show for me. And Killer goes, I like your style. So <laughs> he chose the wrong guy to use this tactic on. Uh, then we cut to the performance floor where King and Queen are getting really pissed off at all these pirates who turn treason on them just because Queen, you know, spread a virus amongst them and <laughs> forced them to fight for their lives. What a bunch of whiners. Yeah. Uh, Marco is down for the count. He's just like, but he's not actually. So it turns out he's just kind of like, like, I'm just going to sit down. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm tired. I'm just going to chill. Uh, uh, some people are attending to Sanji. Uh, as he's kind of gotten knocked on his ass as well. Uh, they're looking for Zoro, uh, King and Queen are, to try and finish him off. 
uh, Sanji is trying to get uh, Chopper and the other doctors and they're like, hey, come on, get that guy out of here. What's going on? But they say, well, we gave him the medicine, but he's just he's not recovering yet. So we well, you know what's really going on. So Sanji starts fighting uh, Queen. He kicks him in the face. Uh, King commands the troops still loyal to him to find Zoro and end him. Uh, and he's like, hey, don't let them heal him, which I do like that. People respect Zoro so much that they're, that they're, even when he's not actively in the fight, they're like, we gotta kill that guy. Yeah, we gotta mur- this guy needs to die. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Emperor Thoro, meanwhile, is on the outskirts of the battle, and he readies a bow and arrow to assassinate Sanji, and he's got him in his sights, and a little cursor appears because that's what bows and arrows do, I guess. <laughs> I know that you can have a sight finder on a bow and arrow, but shut up. Um, so, as, but as he takes aim, he's like, "Oh, Vinthmokthanthi, if you'd simply marry Pudding like you were told to, we'd never have to team up with with Vinth Now die, German biggest failure!" And he gets ready to fire, and Cat Viper sneaks up on him and claws him in the freaking back of the head. <laughs> And says, step outside. This is for Pedro. And, um, yeah, he knocks him into the wall and is going after him. So, uh, looks like we got another battle squaring off now. Makes sense. Uh, there is, of course, history between them. So. Uh-huh. Uh, some people pick up Zoro to try and get him to safety as, you know, a bunch of pirate of the animal pirates come after him. Uh, and King cuts off their path getting in front of him. He's got a huge ass fireball in his hands that he's getting ready to throw at at, uh, Zoro, to which Chopper says, no, leave him alone. Well, he is a little kid, I guess. And he's like, he's like, what, 12 now or something like that? So, Uh, fuck, how old was Chopper supposed to be? And then the time skip. Somebody was 15. Supposed to only be like Luffy was like 16, wasn't he, when they started off? No, Luffy was 17 because it was it was Luffy, okay. Nami, Zora was 17, 18, 19. I think he was 15, and then after the time skip, now he'd be 17. Oh, okay. Anyway, uh, so Marco does a thing. I don't really know what, but he he's back. He finished his nap, and so he gets in the way of the of the big fireball that King launches. And Marco says, "I know of some exposition I can give." Right now. <laughs> he just says, "I've heard." I know what you all have been waiting for. You've been like, there hasn't been enough law and world building in One Piece recently. <laughs> He says, I've heard tales about the race of people from atop the red wall who could burst into flames. And here we have King the Wildfire. Now, would that mean but Queen's just like, hey, what's going on? You're still alive, Marco? I'm going to interrupt this right now. <laughs> um, but Marco says, eh, I'm satisfied with what I've done so far. That's it for me today. As all of a sudden, the bandages around Zoro start to rip and unfurl. and Zoro is recovered. Not really. He's on he's on painkillers. He will not be happy later. But Marco says it's time for the stars to take the stage. And together, Zoro and Sanji launch two of their signature attacks. And uh 
they kind of knock king and queen for a loop uh, to start to kick off what looks like a two-on-two battle. And uh, Zoro's like, hey, you know, once we once we conquer this battle and Sanji cuts him, I was like, yeah, we're going to catch a glimpse of Luffy as the king of the pirates. And I, that's our chapter. So. I am admittedly a shameless, shameless whore for any time Luffy and Zoro, or Zoro and Sanji work together. I don't know why. It's just, it's such a fuck. Like, anytime they do it, I'm like, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened in manga. Uh, so the end is very awesome. Uh, I did, I got a, 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 I'll say a wry chuckle when I first read the chapter. And it was like, the stars of the stage. And I was like, ah, yes, the stars of the stage. And we were first introduced to the fight of Raiju between Fukuru Koji. <laughs> like, no one's called those the stars of the stage, but whatever, you know, I get it. Um, Yeah. Remember the, all those Animal Kingdom Pirates guys that fought with me? was like, well, yeah, I guess there were like the different divisions. And of course, there was Kaido. Big Mom was involved. Um, oh, Orochi, I guess, was kind of part of them, but not really. But, you know, he was a bad guy. Um, Apu. Apu's still around. Yeah, Scratchman Apu. Yeah. Um, that's everyone, right? So, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Fukurokuchu. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. I've got there's a ninja fight going on. <laughs> um. But yeah, I, I'm agree. I agree with you. It's like it's it's just a nice, very hey, Wolverine's teaming up with Spider Man. Awesome. So that's uh, that's nice. Which one's Spider Man? Honestly, they're mostly both Wolverine. I was gonna say, like, like I feel like both of them are kind of Wolverine in different ways. <laughs> um, but yeah. That's uh that's it for Maga this week. Yeah. So we should wrap things up. By naming our favorites, favorite chapter and MVP of the week. Um, I guess favorite chapter is going to be One Piece. Like, I, as I said, I'm I'm just a shameless whore for when one but Zoro and Sanji work together. So it was it, them having the cool shot at the end. I was like, all right, that's enough. It won me over. Ah, oh, man, <laughs> this is tough. Because, like, nothing stands out to me especially well. Uh, there were some that was like, yeah, it was nice. But that's really just kind of it. Um, I guess I'm going to give it to Mashal. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I don't have a lot of conviction in that, though. Um, there are a number of different ones where are like, well, that was nice, but I had this problem. I had this is nice and this, and I had this problem. Masha was just like, that was nice. And that was funny. And I don't really have any problems with it. So <laughs> I guess that's the winner. So. Um, um my MVP is going to be Finn, I think for Masha. I really liked his little speech of like, I want to graduate with you. Like, I guess it wasn't even really a speech it was the line, but I really liked that line. I thought it was a good way to motivate Mash in an authentic way. Maybe you have mind in the Putku shark minion because <laughs> the shark he stuck that landing for that chapter. It could have been way worse if it ended on that high note. So if give it to him. if there was a least valuable, is it would it always be Unaris? <laughs> like, like I'm trying to think. Was there like like an actual like I don't know, like a like 
like somebody like just a real bad person, like a sex pest or something like that, a manga who would made it like one week instead, or is it just every sure. week, every week it was just like, hey, Oneiros ruined that funny joke chat or a fucking hater. <laughs> Yeah, I think that would just kind of like be the assumption is like just assume it's Uneris unless yeah. like she wasn't there or like if there unless there was something particularly bad in another series. So. Uh, the audience, by the way, picked Elusive Samurai as the chapter of the week and Tokiyuki mm-hmm. from Elusive Samurai won character of the week. Although I see a lot of votes for Debonair as well. Yeah, I um I, I did. I did definitely dig uh, Tokiyuki's role in it. It was nice to see him like be more stubborn with his personality essentially like mm. very being very true to himself but taking a firm step in uh his beliefs so yeah. all right that is gonna do it for weekly manga recap guys we want to thank you for joining us for this episode we record this show live on wednesdays usually around 7 30 eastern time here on twitch.tv slash but to stay updated on exactly where we're going to be recording the show you can follow us on twitter your hosts are at rollo t and at nick f time the official podcast account is at wmr podcast give us a follow and you can find out exactly when we're going to start the show which also will be sent out to the Discord server if you join that. We have a wonderful community that talks about the recommendation that we're going through, the weekly chapters as they come out, and there's uh, just general hangout stuff. There are bi-weekly uh, gaming nights uh, as well. One yeah. of them's in the morning, but they're gaming nights both ways. So, Ooh, I, actually, I uh, want to do this now because it's on my mind. I'm what? sorry to interrupt you. I just want to note, uh, I guested on Demon Slayer podcast recently, which I would highly recommend everybody go check out. Uh, and I just recently recorded an episode where I'm going to be the guest on, uh, I'm going to blank on it. It's the iShield 21 podcast. I want to say it's called Deals with the Devil. Uh, the iShield 21 podcast. You just search iShield 21. Um, it'll, it'll be on there. So I don't know when that episode's coming out. I think it's going to be sometime relatively soon, but go check that out. That was a, a super fun time. Sorry. I just wanted to make sure I got those on air. And uh, there might be some other news coming out about that about oh, that yeah. kind of thing, but uh, we'll tell you later. Um, where was where was I in my spiel? So we would like to extend special thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon, patreoncom slash recap. You will ask to create bonus content for you guys to enjoy. You can check out every episode of the show on weeklymagarecap.podbean.com, on YouTube.com/slash/weeklymagarecap, and in general anywhere the podcasts can be listened to, including Spotify. Uh, we would also like to extend special thanks to Steve Mann, our tower card artist, who creates artwork uh, title cards for certain episodes of the show that you can view on the YouTube channel. And uh, to Milo Jack Stilts and Winslowdale Cheddar for creating uh, the opening sequence of the video versions of the show. And NGX3i, who maintains the Google Doc that has all sorts of very helpful information, uh, including uh, MVP voting, favorite series voting, past recommendations, and a recommendation list that you can also add stuff onto. And now that time has come, guys. As said at the beginning of the episode, we are recording this uh, this episode of the podcast on August twenty fifth, which means this is the last week of August. Which means that the next week's recording will be the first week of sadistic September. It comes every year because we hate ourselves, and. I've known for a long time what we were going to record for this one. In fact, it's one that I kind of wanted us to do for a while. Ever since really the concept of Sadistic September came up, it was just something that I just kind of sat on for a little while because I wanted to do Prince of Tennis and then I wanted to do something different. And <laughs> Then we picked that pedophile manga, yeah, which was a yeah, mistake. Yeah. 
And the reason that I've sat on this one for a while is because it's a tricky one. It's one that I wanted us to do that we need an excuse to do it because it's a very long series. And in the course of its very long run, when I was reading it week to week, it was just a general feeling that I had, that man, this just got shitty and I have no more patience for it. It's not going to turn bad all at once or from the beginning. I don't think maybe as we re-examine it, it'll turn out that I'm completely wrong. And it was just always worse than I thought it was when I read it over 10 years ago. We are going to be reading Kenichi, the Mightiest Disciple, a.k.a. History's Strongest Disciple, Kenichi. Jesus. Strap in. This thing's like <laughs> 500 chapters. So <laughs> Nothing like reading a, a scant 10-year-long series in a month. Yep. All right. Well, let's get going. I got to start reading it now. Yeah. Yeah. So do I. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. That's it. We got to start reading.